Hi, uh, Nikki. This is Mike. I met you at the um, at the Dresden uh, tonight. Uh, I just called to, to say that I had a great time, and you should call me tomorrow or in uh, two two days, uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, my number is two one three five 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 four six seven nine. Hi, uh, Nikki. This is Mike again. I, I just called because it sounded like your, your machine might have cut me off when I, when I, uh, before I finished leaving my number. Anyway, uh, and, you know, and also, um, sorry to call so late, but you were still at the Dresden when I left, so I knew I'd get your machine. Anyhow, uh, uh, my number is 21... Two one three five 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 four six seven nine. That's it. Just want to leave my number. I didn't want to think I was uh, weird or desperate. We should just uh, hang out and uh, see where it goes because it's nice and uh, you know our expectations. So okay, thanks a lot. Bye bye. I just got out of a six-year relationship, okay? That should help explain why I'm acting so weird. I just wanted you to know that. It, it's not you, it's me. I'm sorry. This is Mike. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Hi, Nikki. This is, this is Mike. Could you just uh, call me when you get in? I'm going to be up for a while, and I'd just rather speak to you in person instead of trying to fit it all into... great but uh, maybe we should just take some time off from each other it's not you it's me it's what it's what I'm going through all right uh, it's it, it, it's only been six months Mike Nikki great D did you just uh, walk in or were you, were you listening all along don't ever call me again Wow I, I guess you're home Just as awful as I remember. Thank you. All right. He's just sitting there in that tiny, cramped uh, Los Angeles apartment in his wife beater. All right. Like covered in, like, mustard and ketchup. Covered or... in mustard and hate. Ugh. And why won't she call? All right. It's five minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11, and this, the month of May, the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio. This, my friends, mi amigos, mi compadres, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. 
733-2970. If you would like to join us today with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, uh, two cents. By the way, I decided yesterday, if I ever become a children's clown, I'm going to be Kvetchy the Clown. And I'm going to have a partner named Shlomo. And we're going to be everybody's favorite clown duo, Kvetchy and Shlomo. Just, you know. Just make a note of that. Just in case the whole Just in case thing doesn't work out for you. I should ask you what my clown name is going to be. Now you know. So, uh, you know, call me tomorrow or, uh, you know, in two days or, you know, whatever. Not you, it's me. I just got out of a six-year relationship. And I... So, yeah, so... Uh... All right. that director? That's John Favreau. John Favreau, director of Iron Man. I just... I think it might be that movie specifically, or it also in very bad things. Like you hold him in disdain. I've never liked him as yeah. an actor ever. He seems a little smarmy sometimes. The thing you—he's one of those guys, though. That uh, I'm glad that he made a success of it because for a long time it looked like he was just going to be the swingers guy. Uh, he did swingers, which had such a huge impact. Swingers, which I think came out in 1996, uh, and really was an immediate cult uh, hit. And, I mean, dudes, you know, kind of grabbed onto it, and I think people of a certain age grabbed onto it. But for the longest time, it looked like he wasn't going to do anything else. Because he did Swingers, and he did Very Bad Things, and then he did that movie Made with Vince Vaughn, which is sort of a bad sign because it was a little bit of a going back to the well kind of a thing. Uh, you know, because from the from the comedic duo that brought you Swingers, but then he made Elf. He directed Elf, and then he directed Iron Man. Yeah, you should stay on that side of the camera. He does good. Well, he's a good director, and he does uh, Dinner for Five on IFC, which is good as well. So. No, no Vince Vaughn performance will ever rival the one that he had in Paparazzi. No, no of course not. Greatest moment ever. I'm more of a... No, not Trapped in Paradise. What was that movie he did with Anne Hayes where he was a drug dealer stuck in a jail? That doesn't even matter. Doesn't even matter. All I remember is I went to the theater, and the bulb burned out with ten minutes left in the movie, and I didn't even care enough to go back and figure out how it ended. To this day, I don't know how that movie ends. <laughs> what movie? The movie where... Tim, you know that movie where Vince Vaughn... Vince Vaughn is caught with drugs in Thailand, and they stick him in jail, and Anne Heche is his lawyer. No. It's like a really Are terrible... broke down Paulus and convincing Vince Vaughn, confusing them, him for Claire Danes? No. Yes, I'm confusing Vince Vaughn and Claire Danes. It's... No, it's, it was sort of a bad, uh, squeaky clean knockoff of Midnight Express where Vince Vaughn is in Thailand and his friend says, hey, why don't you smuggle some, some drugs out of Thailand or into Thailand? Or... He's smuggling drugs somehow, and then, but he gets caught, and so they stick him in a Thai jail, and then Anne Heche, pre-crazy Anne Heche, pre-publicly crazy Anne Heche, is the lawyer, and then they have some sort of jailhouse romance. I just remember sitting, sitting there in the theater kind of wanting to stick it out because I paid money for it. And then we got to about 15, like you could sense the ending was coming. You got within striking distance of the film's conclusion. And then there was a... And the bulb burned out. The movie stopped. And the guy comes in and goes, I'm sorry, the bulb has burned out. I'll have to give you passes to come back and see the film later. And I never went back. So to this day, I have no... I don't even remember what the name of the movie is or how it ends. Just wasting four minutes on it. It's 503 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. 2970, if you'd like to uh, get on board today. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, uh, or the somewhere in between. We'll talk more about Richie Bristol in a second and Sarah Dillon's quest to find him love. Uh, let's see, what else is coming up? Lisa Desjardins joins us today for the uh, first time since she uh, left our fair city. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum will join us from New York City today, where I do believe... I don't think they're doing it right now, but I think at some point, I think they're getting, uh, I think at the end of the season, they're going to be tearing down Yankee Stadium and Shea Stadium, uh, which is the home of the Mets and where the Beatles played. So, anyway, we'll talk to him about that. 
Uh, top five coming up today. Top five rock acts that Dave Zinn wants us to interview. Uh, that'll be the top five rock acts uh, that Dave Zinn wants us to interview on this program. Uh, Scott Daly will be here later on to give uh, sort of the Film Fever radio word on Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which... I guess it's already open and wide release, but probably the majority of people are going to start turning it out, you know, turn out to see it tonight. Uh, Geek Watch coming up today. Uh, what else? We were supposed to talk to Jim Roop about something, but it doesn't look like he's in the prep sheet, so that may or may not happen. Uh, we are heading, of course, into a holiday weekend, uh, so we'll have news about that. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification today. An alleged Craigslist criminal is shot at the Vancouver IHOP parking lot after a sting goes wrong and a cop is run over. There's a gang-related shooting on Northeast 13th early this morning. The Russians give the new Indiana Jones film a thumb down due to anti-Soviet propaganda. Your hands could combust, bursting into flames while barbecuing after using hand sanitizer. High gasoline prices are forcing farmers to switch to mules. And CNN reports secret behind-the-scenes talks are going on right now between Hillary's people and Barack Obama's people to make her the vice presidential candidate. It's all very exciting. I like stories about things combusting, Tim. Wasn't it Memorial Day when we used to do the uh, the barbecues in the parking lot? Yeah. Is it Memorial Day or the 4th of July or I both? Think both. What was it? It was mostly Memorial Day. When was Matt deep-frying a turkey in a big thing on the steps of the uh, the Fisher building? Do you remember that? I think it was the 4th of July. Yeah, it might have been the 4th of July. I don't know. And then we had somebody... You want to talk about the list of things we could no longer do now. Is at some point, we have somebody juggling fire in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the front parking lot of the Fisher Building. We're putting explosives <laughs> in, like, cans of spam. Oh, I forgot all about that. I don't see why we still can't have parties in the Fisher Building parking lot. But <laughs> well, there's no party even now. I think it's that building across is... Across the street? Largely empty. Um... We should just go over. Just, you know. It's, 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 I ran into somebody who used to work here that now works there. Uh, was that Alan Gabrowski? I believe that was his name. Yes. I didn't remember him. Kind of a squat Lex Luthor looking guy? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, um, wait a minute. I, I don't want to get off onto this now, but there's the, the, the number of things that I think just in that building alone that we would now no longer be allowed to do, like legally, morally, ethically. I forgot about the fact that we. Why were we blowing up spam? I mean, apart from the fact that it's fun. Was there some specific reason why we were no. trying to blow up spam? And insanely enough, I think at one point, and I'm all certain Matt was to blame for this, I think at one point we were trying to blow up spam like still in the can, which looking back now seems like a phenomenally misguided and ill-advised idea. That That's one of those things that ends with, and now he's in like a blind home. So, yeah, we tried to blow up spam. We had that huge, uh, we had that huge deep-fried turkey thing that was going on. I think... I do remember some 4th of July show that ended with just a bunch of barbecues going out in the parking lot where I think we were surrounded on all sides by dry leaves and twigs and trees. And then there was somebody who may have been robbed, but it may have been somebody else who was just juggling big things of fire one day I during remember the summer. fire sticks. Yeah. That's... I'm going to look at our past events because right. sh- there's a pretty good archive. Well, in any event, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, how are you today? Hello. Oh, there was loss last night. There was no loss. Oh. And, of course, then this sucks because... So there isn't a loss... There wasn't a loss last night. And then, like, the second part of this, like, huge cliffhanger episode that they had last week is next Thursday. But I have tickets to go see Sex in the City. Oh. So I can't see even... So you go to the loss. press screening or whatever? Yeah, well, um, I'm doing a press screening for, uh, thank you, Scott Daly and Aaron Duran. Uh, they aren't going to be able to go to the press screening of Sex and the City, so I actually get to see it before that. 
and do a review for him on uh, Film Fever Radio. You should try to get your review published on Ain't It Cool News just so everybody can have multiple That's postings true, there. And hopefully I have a connection to it, too, because I'd be like, hey, these are all the pictures that I took during the filming yeah. of Sex in the City do that, yeah, that sure. made it on Ain't It Cool News. Be sure to send an email out to everybody what letting them know that... What was the thing that you had on Ain't It Cool News? Uh, it was a thing called Eat Me. That's yeah. what it was called. Yeah, it was my it. review of the film Bite Me and Die. What? My favorite film, Die in a Fire, Sarah Didn't Dillon. Did Boy do that one, too, about the multiple reviews that they picked up of his? Sorry, is there somebody talking over there? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Oh, hello, Rick and Sarah. You guys having a good day? What, did I interrupt you in mid-yodel or something? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I kind of was. All right. Hi, how can I help you, sir? Well, I heard you uh, playing my favorite group there in the world besides Led Zeppelin. That's Tesla. Yes. Yes. And I went and watched. Have you ever seen them guys play? They were at the Roseland not long ago. Yeah, we had uh, we had Brian on from Tesla to sort of uh, pimp that show. I saw those guys years ago. The only time I saw Tesla was on, uh, actually, in the tour for that record. I saw them in the Psychotic Supper uh, tour, which was a little unfortunate because at that point I think they were they were feeling a little dogged by that five man acoustical jam album, and they didn't yeah. want to be pegged as the band that just sat there and played signs. Uh, so there was a there was a little bit of strangeness with that band going on, but uh, yeah, guys, not a bad show though. Good band. Yeah. Those guys are great. Frankie Hannon's one of the best guitar players I've ever seen in my life. And uh, you know I'm running for president, don't you, Rick? I wasn't privy to that, but please feel free to go on and on about it endlessly right now. <laughs> well, I sent you a CD <laughs> called "I Want to Be President." It's uh, what was it about? It's a tribute to Bill and Hillary Clinton. It's a song just for them. Is it a wacky, is it, is it an original composition, sir, or is it a wacky oh, yeah, parody? A, it's all my own music. I, I gave it to you and Sarah at uh, your listener party show. I was wondering if you got a hold of it. Oh, then I do have it, actually. Uh, and I will actually plead a little bit of, uh, I don't know, whatever, pleading a thing. I'm pleading some sort of state here. Um, I have up in my office... Uh, I got every time I you know we do a listener party. There's you know guys who are in a band or they got a song or whatever, and so I we will get handed CDs. All the CDs that I got on Thursday are actually in a single pile uh, upstairs, and I will be going through those this weekend actually. So if yours is among them, I will hear it. You can't miss it. It's got me with three of the women from the Oregon Beauty Contest on the front, <laughs> and I got hemp plants thrown in front of the White House and a whole bit. Okay, is this a single or is this an entire album you've created, sir? An entire sir? album. It's the first one of about six I'm doing. It's the uh, first of a six I, of a six a six album concept series about yeah. you and the women from the Oregon beauty pageant. Well, it's kind of cool, yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, I'll be I'll, I'll be listening to it this zombie. weekend, sir. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. you. All right. Have yeah. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Mmm, I can smell crazy in the air today. Yes, yes, can. All right. How did I know he was going to work the word hemp into that? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hey, how's it going? What's up, sir? Hey, um... Say hello to Tim and Sarah. Pardon? Say hello to Tim and Sarah, sir. They're here, too. Hey, Tim. Hey, sir. How are you guys doing on this Hi. lovely Fine, liquid thank sunshine you. day? How oh, can we help you, you, my friend? What's up? Um, the other day you guys were talking about the Celebrity Three Ring Circus or whatever. Oh, uh, the, the Network Circus of the Stars. Yes, sir. And uh, last night I was watching some shows on TV, and they showed a preview for a new one coming out in June. I just thought I'd give you the heads up on that. Now is it now is it the Circus of the Stars or Battle of... What, what is the name it, of the show? It's, it's Celebrity Circus, and it's June 11th, I believe. Celebrity Circus, uh, do you know what network it's going to be on? Uh, uh, NBC. NBC. Tim, do you remember what network had the Circus of the Stars kind of back in the day, like in the uh, in the early to mid '80s? ABC. I mean, it might have been ABC. So that's so maybe that's that would explain sort of the different but similar name. That maybe they couldn't get the rights to the old show, but they've decided to start rolling it out because it would always be like Sarah Purcell or somebody. And now Skip Stevenson will you know wrestle a tiger, and it would be like some B-lister, you know, and he's doing like a spinning plate routine or something. So it's called Celebrity Circus. When does it come out? 
Uh, it looked like it was June 11th, I believe. Did they show any, did they give any indication as to what uh, sort of activities the stars were going to be doing? No, sir. They just had just a little thing on the bottom of the TV that comes up. They had one for uh, America's Got Talent, and then after that one showed Celebrity Circus June 11th. So. Celebrity Circus. All right, I'm all over that. Celebrity Circus. All right, my friend, what is your name? My name's Dan. Dan, thank you so much for the tip, sir. You call us anytime. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Oh, so uh, something I did yesterday is I watched... Heavenly Creatures. Heavenly Creatures, Kate Winslet, uh, and uh, the other girl. Um, and what did you think? Well, um, you told me that it was like a touching story about a friendship between girls that was misconstrued by their parents. Yes. There was no misconstruing. <laughs> they were full on like lesbian riffic, like all like with the humping. To be fair, I haven't seen the director's cut. I've only oh. ever seen the theatrical cut. Oh, and I have. I know the director's cut. Well, that may be the one, Mr. Because Mr. Yeah, Skin. Wait, that's what I was wondering, because I'm like, maybe you saw a different version, because the way you said it, you seemed very genuine about how they just had this friendship. But the version I well, saw, they had a, like a sexual relationship. We can, well, we'll back up for a moment. So we were, we were talking about, um, I, I knew the girl's name until just now, but it's Kate Winslet and um, uh, Linsky. Her name is uh, uh, something Linsky. Marion Linsky, I think is her name. Um, and so Mr. Skin had called up to say, hey, you may remember her from such films as, and I said, Heavenly Creatures, and you said, what's Heavenly Creatures? And I said, hey, Heavenly Creatures is uh, this amazing film that Peter Jackson did that got him the Lord of the Rings gig, uh, Melanie Linsky, and that it's the movie that got Kate Winslet, Titanic. And it is based on a real story, a very infamous true crime story in New Zealand about two girls who murder one of the parents, one of the mothers. Man, you were right about that last line, too. Yeah. Wow. It's it's a mind-blowing film. It really is. Now, I saw it in, uh, I think, in, in the theater when it first came out, uh, like an art theater. And then I saw it on IFC a couple years ago. But again, I think it was... The theatrical cut, I don't think it was like now with extra hot lesbian footage or whatever. Yeah, I mean, this one... This I don't remember any anything explicit in, in the movie it I saw. It wasn't explicit, but it definitely wasn't a friendship. It was it, it was like a, a they were they were in love. Like, yeah. you, could, you could tell. But how heartbreaking of a film is that? How beautiful and perfect of a movie is it in a, in a weird way? I mean, it's beautiful and Rick, it's unhorrible. I love the fact that, you're, that your mind and your heart are so big, but I just... I didn't see it. I saw a really interesting film, and I loved all the, like, the clay, like, right. people and stuff. Um, you didn't find it touching? I found it touching. It was really sad when, like, she got sick and, like, with the parents yeah. and everything. I thought it was really good, um, but the, it really did catch me off guard with the whole, because you were like, all, oh, it's like a pure friendship thing, and then all of a sudden I'm just like, oh, wait. Well, no, I, I think it's, I, like, I think maybe the cut that I saw, they, they, it was it was more vague. And they, that murder the, scene was just brutal. Because one of the girls to this day insists that there was nothing, that nothing happened, that they were just friends. Um, I think Julie Hume, I think the, the Kate Winslet girl, I think she to this day says that we were just that we were just friends. We were exceptionally close, but it was misconstrued. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, she there's a there, we have to move on here in a second. But there was yeah. there is sort of a Powell's connection because the Kate Winslet character in Heavenly Creatures, Julie at home, grew up. She changed her name and became a, a fairly successful novelist and wrote about 20 books. Uh, that sold very, very well, especially in Europe, under a different name until the movie came out and people figured out who she was. And so she wrote a series of, I think, murder mysteries, uh, of all things, oh, uh, under a pseudonym once she and was an adult. how long did they serve, like nine years? They served like nine years and then, you yeah, know, that I mean, final line of the film. Wow. That final line see... of the film, is the, that's the kick of the... Because I kept the... listening for the line. Yeah. I didn't know that it would be a written line. I, was, yeah. I thought it was a spoken line. So I'm like, I didn't hear any final line. What was he talking about? And then I read that. I'm like, oh, that's, that gave me chills. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty great film. It really is beautiful in a dark, horrible kind of way.
and I do believe, by the way, that James Cameron stole a couple shots uh, from that film for Titanic. I there's totally that great sequence when boat. she's on the boat and the boat's pulling away. Anyway, yeah. Heavenly Creatures is a great movie. Yeah, it was. It was definitely interesting. I'd recommend seeing that. That, that the murder scene was just gnarly. It's a dark film, but it's but it's really really amazing. Mm -hmm. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's this up? Is not your usual Seamus. You are. Uh, you. This is not the Seamus I'm looking for. No. All right. I'm. I'm another Seamus. Do you feel um, sort of overshadowed by uh, by the Seamus, who is sort of a super fan message board guy? Sometimes, yeah. Have you thought about coming up with an alternate name or persona? Sometimes. Okay. Um, kind of confusing sometimes to hear hear you talking about talking about a Seamus when it's not me. Do you are you used to being because it's in in this part of the world anyway? It's maybe not necessarily a very common name. Are you used to being the only Seamus in a room? Yes. All right. How many other Seamuses have you known personally in your life? Um, I think I've met two, and they were both under the age of two. All right. So, so this really is a, its an uncomfortable thing for you to have another guy named Seamus so closely aligned with this program. Sometimes, yeah. All right then. How can I help you today? Uh, you were talking earlier about the Vince Vaughn, Vince Vaughn film. Yes. It was Return to Paradise. Return to Paradise, not Trapped in Paradise. Return to Paradise. Right. Do you remember how it ends, sir? Um. I don't want to give that away. Give it, a, give it away. It's a surprise ending. Is it really a surprise oh, ending? Full of twists and turns. Not really. Is the it, surprise that the movie comes up and I'm totally unsatisfied because nothing has happened? No, it's more of a shocking ending. It came out like 13 years ago. You can spoil it. Okay. Uh, they do hang him. They hang him, really? Yep. Excellent. <laughs> Fantastic. They, they actually show it, which is the disturbing part. Oh, I dared not hope for it. They hang his character? Good. <laughs> Excellent. He dies like a girl at the end, kicking and screaming. Actually, no, he's very calm about it. Oh, all right, okay. It's because he the dies thing. Like a girl? What's wrong with you? You know, but that? no, I'm just saying because in the movie he's he's like kind of a blubbering, you know, he's just sort of a whiner. That's why I don't think I like John Favreau because he just is so pathetic and annoying. I'm, that's the thing is I remember watching Return to here's the thing about Return to Paradise. He's he is a drug. I mean, he's not like a professional drug dealer, but he's a guy who decides to in Thailand smuggle a bunch of like heroin or something in his boot, and then he gets caught and they stick him in jail and he spends the rest of the movie whining about why am I in jail and just because you were smuggling heroin. So, the fact that they hang him at the end of the movie, that makes the whole thing worthwhile. That was worth 13 years to find out. You know, well, it's even sweeter go. now having to wait having to wait for it. Thank you, sir. Yeah, no problem. Bye now. Let's do a couple more and we'll take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. I just wanted to ask, have you ever seen Roadside Prophet? Roadside Prophet? It's an obscure 90s film, art house. Tim, uh, Roadside Prophet? Yeah, no. it's, a, it's, not a, it's really not worth watching, but <laughs> go to go to YouTube right now and Google Roadside Profits slash John Cusack. He does uh he does like they have it's like a three minute cameo that's repeated a couple of times in the film, but it'll just kind of give you the the meat and bones of it's just it's pretty cool. It was kind of a left of uh, you know exit stage left performance. So it's worth watching for the John Cusack cameo. It, it, yeah, the, the whole film. It, it's kind of cool. It's got like what's his name from the Beastie Boys and uh, John Doe and all right, you know, roadside profit. Road is that profit with an F or with a PH? <laughs> profit is in pro prophetic. All right, excellent. Thank you, my friend. Give it a look. Have a good all day. Right, there you go. Uh, I'll do one more and then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Everson Radio Program. 
Yeah, the the other caller sort of answered my question, but I thought maybe you were trying to think of Red's Corner with Richard Gere. That's where he's falsely accused in Thailand or some god-awful place of murder. No, 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 that's a good obscure reference, though. I think Midnight Express kind of did that genre the best that it could possibly be done, and people have been trying to knock it off ever since then. Uh, so, no, 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 they're very similar movies. But, yeah, I think the one I was, yeah. I was thinking of the one, yeah, it's, it's Anne Haitian, it's Vince Vaughn, and it was, I think, the first real big starring role Vince Vaughn had uh, after Swingers, and he was trying to be a serious actor. Uh, and, and yeah, whatever. I didn't realize there were so many Midnight Run clones. You could almost do a top five, I've been accused of a terrible crime in a horrible country movie. <laughs> <laughs> top five, I'm having the soles of my feet beaten in Thailand movies. <laughs> yeah, they could do a movie about that. Remember that kid in Singapore that got caned? Michael Fay was his name. Yeah. Michael did, Fay. Caned I don't even little... remember. Did he actually get caned? Yes, they did. Caned him in like a caned that little bastard like nobody's business. You know why? Because he was out spraying graffiti on people's property, and that's what you get in Thailand. Yeah, yeah. He was asking for it. Also, uh, my roommate went to high school with Scott Daly. Excellent. Really? Does he have embarrassing photographs? Yeah, it's funny because I heard him talking about his upcoming reunion, and I asked her if she knew him, and she didn't recognize the name. But then we went to that website he was talking about. And, and he said, hey, look, it's this Poindexter in the Argyle sweater, and she <laughs> immediately knew who you were talking about. Yeah, she was a goth, so she didn't uh, know. And she's like a year younger than him. So, so of course, she wouldn't have spoken to him in any way. <laughs> right. Just like all the others. All right, thank you. All right, uh, thanks. Bye now. All right, we got to take a break. Come back after this. Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum coming up, Tim Riley, uh, and uh, more, including the top five in Scott Daly. Stay the Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. More of your phone calls coming up in a moment. Later on, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum will be joining us from New York City. Scott Daly from FilmFeverRadio.com and the top five musical acts that Dave Zinn wants us to interview. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome to the Rick Emerson Show. For the first time since her sojourn to the City of Roses, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello, Lisa. Hi, guys. How are you? How are things? Well, hello. Hello. Still dragging a little bit, i got to admit. How was your flight back to, uh, how long, here's a dumb question, how long is the flight from here to there? It was it was two flights. It usually is around. It was around seven hours altogether, but uh, the flight, there was actually an adorable baby next to me. <laughs> and by adorable, do you mean loud? Really pretty good until the ver- until uh, we started uh, going descending into Cincinnati. Then it was, woo! Then the ears were shot. Can then I tell you this? She was really pretty good. She was a cute little baby. Here's an idea that I, I have right now. This just occurred to me uh, that I have no means or mechanism by which to manufacture this product. So somebody <laughs> else should take this idea and they should do it. You know they have those reverse earphones you can wear. By which I mean those noise canceling earphones. Yes. And the deal is you put them on and they. Uh, as I understand it, if you put on noise-canceling headphones, they themselves generate a sound wave, which is in full Bruce Egler mode here. They they generate a sound wave, which is the inverse 
of the sound wave created by the noise around you, so it cancels it out so they, they, there's no noise at all. They ought to create those that just specifically block the baby frequency. Yes, I think that's probably a good idea. Headphones that all they do is they cancel out the sound of squalling infants next to you. So. Well, it was, it was right on cue because I think Delta now has this cute video where they're trying to uh, poke fun at typical things on the plane as if trying to acknowledge them while not actually changing them. <laughs> And and so they had a video of uh, like a cartoon of a screaming baby, and it was and the dad of this baby didn't actually have his headset on at that time, and he wasn't looking at the video. But right just as that video was ending, making fun of the screaming baby, his baby started screaming, Fantastic. and the whole thing was like, oh gee, almost like sort of a like a like a handoff from yeah, virtual so baby to real baby, like a tag, <laughs> like as if the like yeah, you think that's a real baby. I'll show you screaming. Exactly. Uh, all right. So, uh, all right. I don't even I don't even know where to where to where to start with anything. There. So we've got all kinds of uh, uh, you know, Daddy Mac McCain is in the news all over the place. Did today. you just call him Daddy Mac McCain? I did. I did. I used to. I usually Johnny Mac is really the way he's referred to. No one refers to him as that. Who re casual, who refers to him as that? I want names. Johnny Mac. Who calls him Johnny Mac? Other than you just now. It's sort of, I'd say, reporters. Really? On the trail, sort of, yeah, when you're in kind of a... Is it kind of an ironic name, yeah. as though, like, it's sort of a, like a hip name that they know doesn't really work with him because he's not hip? It may have, in fact, started when he did wear those uh, sort of Terminator-looking sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. But well, I, don't, I don't know. Well, so yeah, I, uh, it, it seems to work. I don't know. So I know that, well, first of all, CNN is reporting today, uh, although not attributing, not sourcing, not actually giving any underpinning to the story, CNN is saying today what everybody sort of suspects, which is that uh, the Clinton campaign is really strongly leaning on the Obama campaign uh, to talk about some sort of number two position uh, for Hillary. Um, the best line in the story, though, is where um, CNN reports that the talks are, quote, very, very tense and difficult. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, so here's a dumb question. I mean, is it, Imagine, right. do you suppose that there's any truth to the fact that, it, that they're sort of doing back-channel discussions where Bill is on the phone demanding that somebody give his wife a job. You know, as, as much as I know you love that image, I cannot confirm that Bill himself is on the phone demanding a job for his wife. Uh, but I think, I think his people are certainly on the phone, as are hers. They have the, kind of the same people, actually, for the most part, not all together. But yes, I, and I, but I, here's what's interesting about this, is it's the ultimate, ultimate game of political poker. There are sources telling us that what the Clinton campaign is asking for is to be offered publicly the vice presidential spot, and then she can decline it. But very privately, the Obama camp is saying, we're not so sure she would decline it. <laughs> we know that's what they're offering. <laughs> well, what would be... We're so worried that we would put that out there, expecting her to say no, and then she'd say, why, yes. Well, I would love to be your vice president. The whole thing just fatigues me. I don't even understand yes. any of this now. Okay, so why... This sort of this sort of short circuits the question I was going to ask, which is, how could there be discussions? I mean, they either want her or they don't. I mean, let let's leave aside what you just said for a moment and, and deal we deal with sort of a more prosaic question. Is when they say that she is in talks with the or that the Clinton people are in talks with the Obama people about the VP slot. I mean, leaving aside this weird. Texas Hold'em scenario you just brought up, what would there be to talk about? I mean, it's like they at this point, mm. they would either be in favor of Hillary on the ticket or they wouldn't. It seems like what what other information could they possibly require to make that decision? I, there are a lot of ways of looking at this. One is when you have 
as tense of a conflict as you clearly have right now between Obama and Clinton as she tries to set up some sort of exit path. Uh, it's typical, just sort of with, like with the Michigan and Florida situation, remember when those two states were talking to each other, but they figured out pretty quickly they didn't have a lot to talk about, but still it's sort of the beginning of, of diplomacy, the beginning of trying to untangle a knot. You start talking and you see if there is anything that you can agree on. Basically what the Clinton people want is they want sort of a dignified way for her to exit the campaign, and they want to get as much political capital for her as they can. So I think they realize pretty clearly that Barack Obama does not have her as his number one choice right now for vice president. It's not clear that he has anyone as his number one choice, but it, it is very clear that he doesn't want to commit to her as vice president at this time. So why would the Obama campaign in, yeah. do this this insane scenario of offering her the position just so right. she can say no? Like what? Why would he ever agree to that? That's just stupid. Well, because because what's going on? It's all sort of uh, political horse trading. He he wants her big fundraisers, her big strategists on board with him. And he he wants them not just on board in name, which is certainly going to happen. They're going to say, yeah, yeah, Obama, rah, rah. He wants them to really be working for him and seriously uh, be passing the Kool-Aid down the line to all 17 million of those Clinton voters because he is going to need them. So he, right now he, he's trying to work out a way so that he can kind of hold hands with them legitimately without it just being sort of uncomfortable for the next five months which is i know which is what you want yes absolutely right but so now they're, they're actually trying to work out a deal where they can truly get along and the clinton people know it they know this is sort of their last kind of political leverage that they've got the last chip they have the last chip they've got and they want to play it for all it's worth now it's not clear what exactly they can get out of it but there are a lot of options other than vice president. A lot of people are talking about the cabinet, I, but we've talked about that before. It's not clear she would be a perfect fit on the cabinet. Uh, perhaps there's some uh, power deals in the Senate. Senator Obama has a lot of supporters in the Senate. You know, maybe they can work something out. They, you know, they, they're going to talk about a wide range of possibilities, I think. I just love the it's idea so that, that, that they would float this sort of bluff where, where Obama says, okay, uh, Hillary... Do you want to be vice president? And then she just kind of goes, yes, in front of a camera somewhere, and then he's locked into it. I mean, that would just be so delicious. It would just be the it would be the best possible <laughs> end play to this entire thing. I mean, uh, really, just because you couldn't possibly be more absurd or convoluted at this point. Right. Well, though, this is Suzanne Malveaux is reporting all this, and I have to say, and this isn't just me trying to be like, if it's wrong, it's not my fault. Uh, but but I really don't know the sources on this. But she, Suzanne Malveaux is a very good reporter, and. I, I trust her, but but this is where this is coming from. We I don't personally know Excellent. the source who has said from the Obama camp that they're worried about the bluff. Uh, but I've seen it in politics before in South Carolina, where uh, a bunch of Republicans put a they were trying to bluff the Democrats. They put this budget deal on the table that was sort of absurd and just way overspending, and they wanted to, you know to kind of call the Democrats bluff. And then the Democrats showed up, three of them, and they agreed to it. And there, it was it was really awkward. So uh, it, it, it's happened before. I like things that are really awkward. Um, yes. Let's see. Uh, so McCain dumped all his medical records. Uh, you yes. know, he put out the whole uh, I'm I'm going to live for a thousand years you right. know, paperwork or whatever. Um, exactly. Uh, and he's trying to I guess this is not uh, your assessment. I understand this is my assessment. There's a, he is. Well, I guess he is trying to distance himself from some. 
I don't know, some 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 wacko preacher uh, that that was endorsing him. Is this the guy that is this the preacher that was saying that the the guy that called uh, the Vatican uh, called the Vatican the the the, the, whore, of the ba- whore of Babylon? Is this the guy? <laughs> This is the guy whose remarks were interpreted that way, yes. Now, this guy, John Interpreted Hage- that way. Yeah. Huh? It, this, this is very tricky. John Hagee is a televangelist. He's got a congregation in San Antonio that he says is about 17,000. It's a huge one of these mega churches, And he speaks kind of biblically. He doesn't say things bluntly. And, and a lot of his remarks are very sort of symbolic and in that kind of apocalyptic biblical terminology. And, and he did say something that very strongly implied I I think it's very it seems pretty clear he was talking about the Catholic Church being the whore of Babylon now he later said that that wasn't what he meant but he still apologized to Catholics he, he clearly was um, hitting the Catholic Church he clearly was criticizing the Catholic Church and also mentioning the whore of Babylon now he says it was misunderstood same situation with the latest remarks which are really what uh, caused John McCain to uh, cut ties with this man John Hagee was quoting, uh, for all you biblical scholars, he was quoting a verse from the book of Jeremiah in which uh, the prophet there talks about the chosen people of God, the Jewish people, will come to the promised land, but during that time there will be hunters who will be hunting them from all the corners. And it's not even clear in the Bible what, what that means, but John Hagee said that God was using Adolf Hitler essentially as this hunter figure to kind of force through, I suppose, mysterious ways, um, the the state of Israel. You know, oh. one of it, he didn't say this, but it, maybe he was sort of saying, "From bad comes good." It sure didn't sound that way. That's how he's presenting it now. But it did sound okay. like, well, Adolf Hitler was brought to power so that God could create the state of Israel. I'm so tired of people. I real. I'm just so tired of people. All of them. Yeah, it's something. And I think I think Hagee, some of his harshest remarks are probably not getting the most attention, which are. He he did say recently that uh, Hurricane Katrina happened because God was angry at New Orleans. Because, because of, wait, hold on, don't tell me, gays? Yes. Gay. Yeah, it's always gays. Gay all right, pride, there you go. Yeah. Gay pride and, all, and just sinfulness in general. Of course. Right. So in actually in 15 minutes from now and counting, John Hagee is having a, a news conference that, that uh, we'll be tapping into. So it'll be interesting to see what he says. I think what's interesting here is that John McCain... You know, he, he, he kind of tried. He didn't really disassociate himself with this man completely. He said, I don't agree with that remark. I don't agree with this remark until, until this whole Adolf Hitler thing. And as we know, you bring up Adolf Hitler and that's it. You're <laughs> that's, done. That is that does seem to be the breaking point in the that's argument. Right. right. Jesus. All so, right. Well, I think, you know, people in New Orleans might, you know, what, geez, it was okay to say that, but not this. I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's tricky. I think at this point, John McCain realizes that, uh, very well, Reverend Hagee could say even more things, and uh, you know, maybe try to hit Muslims, Buddhists. That's that's a you gotta. That's like you gotta you gotta cut that rope uh, right now. That's like Ahab finding his foot entangled in the line. You you gotta cut it. He has also cut ties, John McCain, by the way, with another preacher, an Ohio preacher. This also in the last day, who has said that Islam is by its nature inherently violent. So so he has hit Catholics, Islam, and uh, Jews, sort of. Uh, with just two preachers, so he's uh, but he's he's got ties with both. Jesus, we are just living in an asylum. All right, uh, all right. You have big plans for your weekend, or are you just recuperating from last week? I'm go I'm going uh, to Massachusetts for uh, 
I don't know. It's weird. I'm not trying to drop names, but I feel like I'd be weird if I didn't say for actually Dana Bash's wedding. Oh, that's right. She's marrying John King. Marrying John King, who, who speaking of, since we're all on the religious theme, he he converted from Catholicism to Judaism. So and that so I didn't realize that I because I am a nerd. I realized that they I knew that they were engaged, but I didn't know it was coming up so quickly. All right, well, um, yep. You know, this will mean absolutely nothing to them. Give them my regards. <laughs> I will. All right. I, I will. I will. In fact, actually, maybe I have an extra. Um, AM 970 T-shirt that I could give him. <laughs> now you're just toying with me. I could wrap wrap some sort of card or something in it. All right. Well, uh, travel safe, and uh, we will talk to you uh, next week. Sometime. Have a great Memorial Day, both of you right. guys. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, there you go, Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm such a nerd. So John King, who's uh, I think the senior political correspondent that did for CNN, is marrying Dana Bash who is a political correspondent for them on CNN Television. So it's a well, isn't that lovely? It is. It's very sweet. All oh, right. Crap. Uh, Steve Kasselman was called 45. Well, right? like 90 seconds ago. No, that's you know like he calls he ago. calls late constantly. This seems like maybe he could call late today when we need him to call late. That's all I'm saying. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show, sir. Madam, as the case may be. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up, sir? Uh, in Return to Paradise, I just wanted to say that Vince Vaughn lives. Wait, hold that guy just told me they hung him. Well, that guy didn't know. It's Anderson's brother that dies. They get hung. Oh, well, now, I've lived it. Damn it. The you last... were happy for at least 18 minutes. For 18 minutes, I've been reveling in the idea that Vince Vaughn's whiny-ass character might have been hung. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I am disappointed. I've never been more disappointed, sir. We left out a big part of the movie when Vince Vaughn is actually back in New York with his buddy, and Anne Hayes lives in New York and has to convince Vince Vaughn and his buddy to go back to... That's right, because uh, Joaquin Phoenix, is that the yeah. guy that they've got in jail and Vince Vaughn That's goes him. back to take his place or whatever? Because it's like it's a... Yeah, if he goes back, then they'll let Joaquin Phoenix get out of jail eventually. But then they leak it to the media, and the government has to cover it up, and they have to kill him, basically. Oh, now I don't even know what movie. Now I'm just so lost. This is what I get for bringing up a movie that's like 12 years old that I didn't really care about at, at that point. So now I feel like I have to go watch it just so I can get it straight in my head once and for all. It's a decent movie. All right. Thank you, my friend. You bet. Thank you. All right. One more, and then Steve Kastenbaum joins us. Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Is it me? Hello. Yes, it is you, sir. You're on the radio. Oh, excellent. Um, first off, I'd just like to say, uh, Lisa, how cute is she, by the way? She is, uh, is she couldn't be cuter if she was actually made out of buttons that were made out of bugs' ears. <laughs> awesome. Um, I wanted to give uh, props to you guys, because uh, I'm a short-time listener, about two months now. I've got a new job where I work on the road, and uh, you guys are a big part of my life now. Excellent. Awesome. Um, also, uh, you mentioned Goth earlier. Or somebody mentioned Goth earlier, and I wanted to bring up a funny bumper sticker that I read about Goth. Yes. Um, it was, uh, Goth is just a reason for ugly people to seem interesting. <laughs> it's, well, and the, the ugly is sort of different. There's a two that we've talked before about the, uh, about the Goth beauty scale and how, you know, there's like dog years and human years. Well, there's Goth, uh, goth years and regular years because if you're a Goth guy, there's about three years of your life when you can pull that off without looking ridiculous. Women can pull it off a little longer, but, like, if you're a guy, as soon as you hit 21, you can no longer wear anything. Take off your fishnets and your eyeliner. It doesn't work anymore. that are too big. Yeah. All right. By the way, just as we go here, if you ever want to amuse yourself, sir, what is your name, by the way? Uh, Jesse. Jesse, if you ever want to amuse yourself, go to Google and look up Goth Day at Disney World. There's this great day where... Oh, where it's so funny. Oh, that's like so funny. thousands of goths get together and they go to Disneyland, and it's the greatest, most retarded thing you've ever seen. I will definitely do that. Thank you for listening, sir. One more, one more quick thing. Very quickly. Um, you guys um, 
So just so you know, my my brother is an FM DJ here in Portland uh-huh. on right now, and I'm listening to you guys. <laughs> I want to ask, but I won't. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Yep. Have a good day. Thank you, sir. Wow. I didn't ask. You'll note that I had the restraint not to ask who it was. Now I gotta know. I gotta no, find I, out. I must know. It wouldn't well, be Gustav. Okay, who's on then for something now? No, it's Telterra. It's Telterra. Unless there's something and about Terra we don't know. And there's Bozik. Could be Bozik. Does Bozik have a brother? I don't know. Hi, Steve Kastenbaum. Hey, how Hi. are you? I'm sorry for the delay. There was a little bit of a we ran late with Lisa, and then uh, it's my fault. I suck. That's right. Speaking of Lisa, the only two photos I've seen from the listener party of Lisa. Are, are her at the podium, and one of them is her uh, raising a glass. Yeah. Yeah, but that's it. I'm waiting to see the good ones. Um, <laughs> by good, do you mean backstage? Yes. Um, are there any? Well, we were, I was just talking with somebody about this uh, the other day, actually. So, yeah, the, the photos that are on the site uh, mostly are from the roast section of the listener party. The roast was just sort of one part of the evening. But, yeah, there was a, she roasted in the audience. There's a, there's a great shot, I think, of her... I don't know if it's posted or not, though, of her walking out on stage for the first time, because I don't mean to, I'll just say, Lisa is, she's, it was sort of, um, it sounds condescending to say cute, but I don't, she was, I don't think she really anticipated how much the audience loves her. And so backstage, she's like, you know, she's like, well, you know, I'm expecting some, you know, a little polite applause, you know, a smattering of applause. And I mean, it was, there's a place called the Crystal Ballroom, which is, a, you know, a decent sized venue here. And so she walked out and there was over a thousand people there mm-hmm. who just stood up and just screamed, you know, when she walked on stage. And she was a little stunned. I mean, I, I was, was standing right there when she walked on stage and she was a little taken aback. I mean, she was a little stunned by it. And I said, you know, leave the vision And everybody screamed again. And I, for a moment, I thought she was going to kind of wig out a little bit. She did. I don't think she, <laughs> so there's a couple of photos, I think, of her looking pretty stunned. I'll have to find those. But, um, I was actually just talking to uh, my friend Joni, who was uh, sort of worked the party with us and helped us do a, a lot of the a filmmaker and helped us do a lot of the things. And we were talking about the backstage photos because we have some photographers who were, you know, on retainer for the night, both backstage and out front. And uh, in the, there was a lot of free alcohol backstage. And as, and as the night went on, the photographs and the positions that people put themselves in became more and more uh, sort of um, uh, compromising. Compromising. That's a good word. Yes. And and me. And the whole time though, you just hear shutters clicking, like chick, 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 you know, click, 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 click. And so uh-huh. you know. And so Joni and I said, well, you know, uh, there's a lot of photographs of people doing things. That, you know, we remember happening and they don't really remember the habit. And, and, and Joni said, well, like, are those on, on the on the Internet? And I said, well, they're not on the station. They're not in the photo gallery online, no, because the photographer obviously had the discretion not to post those. But we did speculate that all of those photographs are still around because I just assume, like speaking of photographers, if you know anybody that's a professional photographer, don't you assume that there's a secret, like, sexy folder they have at home where all of the photos that, that can't see the light of day go Oh, yeah. There's some encrypted file on their computer that's just like outtake photos that no one else is allowed to see, but that they themselves keep copies of. For yeah. Like, you know, for the day when one of us becomes, you know, like tries to run for the Senate. And then there's like a photograph of me, you know, giving a lap dance to a mule or something. Well, I'm sure I'm sure Lisa avoided those positions because once you, once you start working for CNN and, you, and, you, and you've got that label uh, over your head, you're very conscious of everything you're doing. 
because you don't want uh, to see that caption beneath some embarrassing photo. CNN correspondent Steve uh, Kastenbaum or Lisa Deschardins. I know. should say actually that Lisa is not in any of these sort of compromising photos that I'm talking about, but there are. I think there's a photograph of. Lisa and Sarah and a woman named Storm Large, who's a good friend of ours, uh, who's this big blonde Amazon woman. I think there's a photograph of them all kind of mashed in together in front of one tiny makeup mirror. Uh, and it sort of looks like they're doing a big sort of awkward group hug. But I, I don't really know. I don't think – but there's, we're, we're kind of sorting through photographs. They're still kind of still coming in. But it was, uh, right, it was well, a good time. Yeah. I look forward to seeing them. Lisa's very petite, right? She's, uh, she's a miniature person. She, it's so funny when she and I are at an, uh, at an event together, like uh, where we might be co-hosting a debate coverage or something like that, because we'll have a big table, and I'll be taking up like two-thirds of the table while she'll, she'll be in one little corner. When she first came in, I went to hug her, and at first I thought I'd missed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's just not, I'm like, wait, hold it. No, I think I've grabbed the wrong part of space and time over here. She's very lucky. She's very fortunate because I've hung out with Lisa and, uh, you know, we've gone out to meals before and she, it's not like she has an eating disorder or something. She's just got good genes. Oh, no, we, we, we went to dinner with her on Monday and she was putting it away. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she really was. And she's just, she, Lisa, not that, I know I was talking about Lisa behind her back here, but I mean, you know what it is? Lisa is that girl that, like, you see interviewed on television sometimes. She goes, I don't know what it is. I mean, I just eat all the time and I never exercise or anything and I just don't ever really seem to gain any weight. I don't know. It's just uh, how I am. She's, uh, she's, she's great. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, all right. So, a couple of things. Uh, so, well, first of all, are they doing that thing where they have you sitting in an airport hating your life? I was this morning, but uh, I got to tell you, there, there's, uh, there was so little. Uh, additional uh, traffic at the airport uh, this morning that we decided to bail out of there. I'm sure right now the lines are much longer, but uh, uh, early this morning there wasn't uh, a, an early rush to get out, and I think that has a little bit to do with the increased ticket prices and all the, the fees that they're adding on because of their added fuel costs. And people were talking about that, you know, having to pay $25 at all the airlines for a second checked bag, and now American Airlines is charging 15 bucks. Eventually they're going to start charging this for your first checked bag. Can you believe that? Now, my I wife mean, was complaining about that. I have no problems with that because I carry on my luggage because I don't want to have to wait with a bunch of uh, you know genetic defectives for my luggage <laughs> to come out. But my, wa- my wife was just screaming, as they used to say, a blue streak about that, about because she's getting ready to go out of town. And she's like, I'm going to have to carry my bag on and they're going to charge me for it. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe if you just packed for... You know, the actual amount of time, maybe if you didn't pack for six months every time you went out of town for four days, you wouldn't have this problem. I mean, But the, thi- but the thing about this is now everybody's going to try and carry their bag onto the plane, and that's just going to make it twice as long, I feel like, I, to, uh, to get onto an American Airlines flight, and there won't be enough overhead space for all the bags. That is true, and, you know, I never really thought about that. And that is, here's another point that I can actually see another downside now that you're mentioning this, uh, is that... When you go onto a plane, because we've talked about this on the show, that we on the we on the show always do carry on luggage because I again I just I you know I, I like to be efficient. I don't like waiting around, and I and especially I hate waiting on other people. And so you know if I have to jam something under my seat and eliminate my foot room, I'll gladly trade that for being able to get off the plane and go right to the car or go right to wherever I want. I but here's the other thing, you know, when you get on a plane at the airport, there's that. Thing that's like your bag must fit within this frame to be allowable as carry-on luggage. Right. And the thing is, they never enforce that. They never. I carry crap onto the plane. I mean, I could wrap, you know, gift wrapping like a rhinoceros and carrying it on with me. But they never enforce that. But if they start charging for the first checked bag and then everybody starts doing carry-on, there's going to be less space, more bags, which means they might actually start enforcing that for people, which would suck. 
and then you know who you know who's really gonna mess things up. And I hate these guys, and I see them on every flight. They bring on their carried carry-on luggage, right? Right. They're one of the first guys on the plane. They put the bag in. First of all, they don't put it in you know the uh, sideways. They put it in the long way uh-huh. instead, instead of you know the narrow way, so it takes up less space and you can fit more bags you know next to it. You know how the, the carry-ons are designed to fit in those overhead uh-huh. uh, you know things. So they'll, they'll put it in there the long way, so it takes up the room of two bags instead of one. And then they close the door, so people think it's full. <laughs> and there's still room for, like, three more bags. I want to punch those guys. <laughs> you should. Uh, you know what? You do it, I'll alibi for you. Thank you. Those uh, guys drive me nuts. F them. Um, uh, real, real quickly here, and, I, and I'm not much of a sports fan, but I am a fan of popular culture in America. So I didn't – I don't know where I've been. I must have fallen into some sort of a the, the coma and didn't realize this. So Yankee Stadium and Shea Stadium are both being torn down. Both of them. This is their last year. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of press around Yankee Stadium because they're getting a new stadium across the street and all of the history at Yankee Stadium. And that's been overshadowing the fact that Shea Stadium also has a new stadium going up uh, right across from it in, in the parking lot. And, and both of them, this is their final year. You know, let me and, tell you, I've never been to Shea Stadium. I mean, I've never been to Shea Stadium. Um, you know, I mean, I know that the Beatles played there and everything, but I... I, it, I don't know. I think Americans have a real, uh, a real affection for big ballparks, stadiums, venues like that. I mean, it kind of bums. I don't even live in New York, and it kind of bums me out. Well, here's the thing. They're, they're building two brand-new stadiums, and Shea Stadium really was never a great stadium. It was very utilitarian. Uh, nothing really interesting about it. The dimensions were exactly uniform, you know, down each line. Uh, they're getting a much cooler-looking stadium. It sort of looks like, uh, you know, Coors Field, if you've ever been in, in, in Colorado, or uh, um, uh, Camden Yards in Baltimore. Really cool baseball stadium, and, and uh, the facade is supposed to be reminiscent of Ebbets Field in Brooklyn for the Dodgers. I'm really looking forward to that one. Yankee Stadium, they built the thing, it looks like a cathedral. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's this big, massive, you know, cement meant to look like slate outside, you know, like, mm-hmm. like uh, stone outside, like a, a structure of permanence. And, uh, you know, they call that, you know, the Yankees' cathedral or baseball's cathedral because of all the history there. So they wanted to sort of give it this, this larger-than-life feel to it. But they're, they're both going to be incredible stadiums, and I'm looking forward to that next year. But this year, all these sports tour companies around the country are doing a booming business, booking oh, yeah. package deals to New York to catch games at both stadiums before they go down. See the house the roof built. Are they going to sell pieces of that? Can you buy a piece of Shea Stadium? There is so much security at Yankee Stadium these days because they're afraid of guys, you know, ripping off stuff in the stadiums and, the, and everything. I don't know how you'd walk out of the stadium with a seat and nobody noticing. But uh, they, they've got lots of security there. The last game is going to be crazy. Uh, the, and, you know, the All-Star game is there, too, this year. Yeah, I can't even. See, that's the sort of thing that even I'll watch, you know, just because I appreciate the, the intersection of sport and culture there. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend, are you on on uh, – well, you're not on – is anybody there Monday? Or are you all just like – Oh, there's a lot of people working, but I took a vacation day. Ah, excellent. Hey, uh- can yes. I send a shout-out to my friend in, in Portland, by the way, the guy who was running for office? Absolutely. I, I'll send a shout-out. Hey, DJ, can I send a shout-out? Um, my friend Jules, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he won his primary. Excellent. What is, it, what is his name? Uh, Jules Coble Bailey won his primary in the 42, uh, 42nd House District. Oh, dude, those signs are all over my neighborhood. Yeah. I see signs for, for that guy. Jules? Really? Yeah, yeah, everyone. Yeah. We're really uh, we're really excited because I, I think we're, there was something like four people running for this seat because uh, the incumbent was was leaving and, and so there was like this power vacuum I guess in 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 that particular district and he won, he ran and he won excellent fantastic it's pretty because, cool it's because you're a power broker 
Steve. <laughs> Tickets with the association with, with the Kastenbaum brand. Yeah, uh, it was probably more to do with my wife helping him out, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that long-distance dedication, Steve Kastenbaum. There you go. All right, my friend. Enjoy your long weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, so long, guys. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Tim Riley. Hello. Have ye news for us? Yes. Is it exciting? Always. Wonderful. All right, we'll come back if you're on hold. Uh, let's see. I see Rob here. We'll get uh, some more of your calls on the uh, other side, as they say. It's 503-733-2970. The Rick Emerson Show continues with Tim Riley next. Go nowhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming by. Uh, in just moments, Tim Riley begins the noon news hour. Later on, we'll talk to Steve the Hook Novick. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, Scott Daly coming in. We'll do the top five. Top five musical acts that Dave Zinn wants us to interview. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. It's Rob. Hello, Rob. Hey, you know what? I, I think Lisa Desjardins is, is falling under... The spell of the Emerson magic. I mean, really, just a after her her kind of heartbroken call leaving leaving town the other day. You know, she she waited for the last second till she had to get on her plane. So they were actually she really was actually the final person on the plane, and you could hear the thing in the background, like really honestly, everybody needs to get on the plane. Yep, and and even today, I mean, she was she's she's kind of still dealing with that the Portland love hangover whatever thing that yeah. she's. She's feeling right Once now, you but, felt the sweet embrace of Portland, sir, it's hard to go back to your normal life. She's played right into your hands, I it's... think, my friend. <laughs> Creepy. Well played, Rick Emerson. All right. Thank you, my friend. Richie rules. All right. Well, okay. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Time for the Rick Emerson started well. News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Not true, says Hillary. Her campaign has had no such discussions with Barack Obama's aides about her possibly becoming his vice presidential pick. She calls these reports flatly untrue. This from an interview from the Sioux Falls Argus Leader. From what? The Sioux Falls Argus Leader is of Sioux Falls, oh. South Dakota. Right. He's in Sioux Falls. Oh, All right. No. Well, of course it's true. Rumors are always true, and this rumor in particular is absolutely true. I'm it is that flatly untrue, it's and it is true. not anything I'm entertaining. It is nothing I have planned. It is nothing I'm prepared to engage in. I am still vigorously campaigning. Where? Where is she? Sioux Falls. <laughs> she visits some chicken place there or something. <laughs> some chicken place. Is the... um. Uh, I don't even know if I want to talk. I don't even know if I care. The... So is there a she's in Sioux Falls, There's South no Dakota? South Sioux Falls, no. So is there a primary there still? Yes, they haven't had their primary yet. What other primaries are left? Do we know there's Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Is that it? I think so. So really, she's pinning all of her hopes on Might be South Dakota. A slave state somewhere. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, so there you go. Well, you heard that Lisa said the thing is that the Clinton people are pushing for this deal wherein. The Barack Obama campaign will offer her the vice presidential slot just so she can turn it down. Uh -huh. So, you know, we'll see if it happens. I mean, you can never you can never count out the Jedi mind trick of the Clintons. So uh, apparently she arrives in Sioux Falls to campaign for a, a large crowd. It's large as they get. That's what Falls. passes for large there. Yeah. Yeah. So untrue, she says. Uh, Portland police claim a 25-year-old man was shot shortly before 1 o'clock this morning on Northeast 13th Avenue. It is a non-life-threatening gunshot wound. The gang enforcement team has been called in to investigate. 
They have not identified the suspect and have received conflicting information, uh, and the neighbors don't want to cooperate. So there. Then there was a shooting at the Vancouver IHOP. So here's what happened with this. Apparently, you know, Craigslist is this breeding ground for criminals of all ilks, and somebody's on Craigslist uh, looking for cars to buy. So they pick out a car and give this guy what he thinks is a real cashier's check, raise it to the bank the next day. The bank says, this is fake. So the car is gone. <laughs> so in the meantime, the guy gets his friends to go online to find out if they can trace this guy. And sure enough, they find the car for sale with the same phone number, <laughs> but in another city. <laughs> That's fantastic. So the cops set up this thing at the IHOP in the Cove around 7 o'clock last night. So they're pretending that they're interested in buying right. this car. All of a sudden, uh, apparently they acted too coppish. And the guy kind of knew the jig was up. Right. So uh, then one of them runs away. Uh, as a matter of fact, two of the men became aware, got in their car, and intentionally ran over one of the officers. Oh. Yeah, so the officer takes his gun, shoots the driver once in the arm. Excellent. Please catch up with him two blocks later. Oh, you know, that was a beating. They bail out of the car, take off on foot. They're quickly caught, so somebody definitely got beaten. Oh, yeah, you know, that was a savage, savage pulping in the street that happened right there. Uh, so, uh, let's see, both the victim and the officer expected to be all right, uh, and we're waiting for them to release the name. The victim's only all right temporarily, by the way, until he goes back into jail and into prison, where he will once again be very, very, very not all right. So, wow. Why don't you at least change the, I mean, if you have, and we say that we, there's sort of variations on this theme a lot on this program, but if you have the, the, the wherewithal, if you have the presence of mind to create an entire criminal scam, which is actually, you know, I mean, you go to the trouble of making a fake cashier's check. Get a second phone number. I yeah. mean, just, you know, whatever. All right. And a cashier's check is not the same thing as a money order, right? Correct. What is the difference between a cashier's check and a money order? A uh, cashier's check costs a little bit more. Okay. But, I mean, there's still basically, it's like a paper check. looks like it's from the bank or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, I guess... You could probably make one online if you wanted to. Well, let's do it now. Not that we're encouraging people to of do Of course so. not. Don't make fake cashier's check. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. This is Jesse. How are you? Hello, sir. Hey, um, question. Since uh, I do know that you you have a uh, a strange love of bacon, it's not uh, nothing strange about it, sir. The only thing strange is people who don't love bacon. They're not real Americans. Well, that's true. Um, who doesn't love pork bellies? Tim uh, loves pork bellies. Can't get enough. So, anyways, I was in the store just like ten minutes ago, uh -huh. and I picked up this thing that I think that I should drop by the show probably Monday. Um, this would be Moe's Bacon Bar. It's actually a bacon chocolate bar. The Now, I've seen a bacon chocolate bar for sale somewhere in Northeast, and it was like, no lie, it was $7. Um, yeah, but I was in buying other chocolate bars as well. So, so you got you know. a bulk deal? Well, not so much, but I bought one anyway. Excellent. God bless you, sir. You're a good person. Thank you. But it's uh, applewood smoked bacon, um, alderwood smoked salt, and uh, deep milk chocolate. I so. mean... I, it's like that who that girl Crystal that brought us those bacon chocolate chip cookies at one point, which is very much like a how to eat fried worms kind of a thing. Um, so I am well. Thank you in advance, my friend. I appreciate that. And here's sure. the thing: just know this that I will eat part of it and save part of it to go on my desk with all of my many other bacon themed items. If you look at my desk now, I have bacon mints, bacon toothpicks, bacon band aids. I think Susan Reynolds brought me. And now I will have part of this bacon chocolate bar preserved forever. Maybe I'll just put it in a big block of lucite and keep it on the front of my desk. Hey, that sounds like a plan. Hey, should I get you a thing of bacon salt as well? Absolutely. Um, I should probably be going to the store this evening, so I'll see if I can pick Thank up you, my friend. You're doing well. the Lord's work. That, that I am. Thank you, sir. Very good. Thank bacon you. Bacon salt. All right. <laughs>
Here's Tim Riley. So Obama's picked up the vote of a fourth Democratic superdelegate from Oregon. Uh, let's see. Uh, the announcement came out this morning from uh, consultant Jenny Greenleaf of Portland, giving him a 4-2 lead over Hillary among Oregon superdelegates. Oregon has a dozen of the party officials and leaders who can vote for whoever they please to have the party's presidential nomination. The state Democratic par- Party announced uh, Greenleaf's endorsement and says it expects no word from the six superdelegates who remain uncommitted so far. You know what I think we've missed out on? We were talking about creating that shirt that says has the outline of Portland, and then it says, Portland, our mayor is hotter than your mayor. Uh, here's another thing. This, we missed the boat on this one. We should have made shirts that just said, I'm a superdelegate. Oh, I would totally have worn one of those around. You know what I mean? Just to, just to, just to sort of say, that would be a thing that could get you. Here's the thing. If you're a guy, if you'd worn a shirt that says, I'm a super delegate, that totally could have gotten you, like, you could have struck up conversations with, like, you know, with, like, smart hot chicks uh, with that. Um, this guy points out something. He says, you know, Craigslist all but gets down on their knees and begs its users not to accept uh, check, uh, cashier's checks from buyers. I don't know how much stupider and a victim could be in a case like this. Craigslist specifically well, says, don't says. take cashier's checks. Because what is the, cause is the deal? Because a cashier's check, I guess, is maybe just a lot easier to forge or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe, as, as opposed to like a personal uh, personal check. So, all right. Yeah, I don't know. I have nothing. Sale uh, cars, uh, bikes, boats, books, cars, and trucks. Let's see what it says here. Alert! <laughs> Offers to ship cars and trucks are fraudulent. Avoid scams, fraud, and uh, personal safety tips, apparently. Well, here's a uh, Porsche Boxster for $18,000. Boxster. Boxster. Um, so, yeah. Portland.craigslist.com. All right, here we go. Listen so, prohibited items. Let's see here. What am I doing? For sale. Let's see. Uh, cars, trucks. Yeah, that's where I am right now. Everybody, let's all get on Craigslist. Let's all get on Craigslist again and just browse. Um, Offers to ship cars and trucks are fraudulent. Avoid scams and frauds, it says. Here we go. Never wire funds via Western Union. MoneyGram. Uh, fake cashier. This huge and huge bold type. Fake cashiers, checks, and money orders are common. Banks will cash them, and then you're responsible when the fake is discovered I weeks didn't know later. That. Is that true? Yeah, weeks later. So the bank holds you responsible if you cash a fake cashier's check? Uh-huh. I hadn't really thought about that. So if Sarah were to swindle me by giving me a fake cashier's check, I go to the bank, I cash it, I take the money. They come after me and not her? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess they would come after me, and then I would have to find her and turn her into the cops and then sue her for restitution, I suppose. All right. So there you go. Avoid deals involving shipping or escrow services and know that only a scammer will guarantee your transaction. Yeah. All right. So there you go. So, you know, I guess the moral here is don't be, don't be a nitwit, my friend. Don't be a boob. All right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Well, two boys were eating potato chips and drinking soda on a Longview playground, and they were robbed of their snacks by a 13-year-old boy. The boy fired an airsoft gun at two 12-year-old boys, hitting them with plastic pellets that left bruises and welts on their skin. The 13-year-old grabbed the boy's food and took off in the playground. Police were able to find the boy, and it was all settled with a little talk and an apology. But this week... The parents asked police to reopen the case and consider filing robbery charges. I guess they could. The students said the holdup and the injuries were worthy of bigger punishment. It will be different if they're, they're friends or, you know, they were acquaintances or something. But when it's kids, they don't know it's more serious than a student. Most parents say airsoft guns should be illegal for children because police may mistake them for the real thing. A child needs to be prosecuted for his own safety and the safety for the community, says the parent whose name is Brent Kitchens. The boy accused in the shooting is a student of the Monticello Middle School. So that's, uh, you're unsafe in 
Longview. Bugs Meany is wanted for questioning. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. What's up? Hey, uh, so I've been hearing a lot lately about, you know, like the Jimi Hendrix sex tape, the Britney Spears sex tape. Yes, sir. I heard the other day that there was a Rick Emerson sex tape. Is this true? Is it just, is it blank? Is it only 30 seconds long? Ha, ha, ha. No, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I just heard it. Oh, I thought you were leading up to it. First of all, could you turn your radio up louder, please? It yes. needs to be. It needs to be a top volume for the phone call. Definitely. To work. Is it? Is who, would, it who would you be randomly talking to that would bring up a Rick Emerson sex? And I thought you were leading up to a punchline. I thought the. Is it only? That's creepy. So it comes in like alludes to the fact that he wants to see you humping and then hangs up. All right. Oh. You think that people would have at least listened to enough talk radio to know Don't to like have people the radio turned up down? Up. I mean seriously. <laughs> the funny thing is though, you can tell that they know because when I say, "Hey, please turn the radio up," you can tell that like they know that it's supposed to be down. Um, I thought I came up with a pretty good punchline there, though, when he said Rick Emerson's sex tape, and I said, is it true it's only 30 seconds long? Ha, uh, ha, ha, see? That was funny. Commenting on my lack of sexual prowess. See? I'd rather hear some Titanic jokes. <laughs> Everybody would. I never got any of those. Uh, we we talked about the whole thing. I never got a Titanic joke. I didn't get a Lusitania joke. No Andrea Dora jokes, Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Tim and movies and whatnot, this is, hey, Rick, What's the movie screw that's shooting in Portland today? The one that's in the parking lot of my building at 700 Multnomah taking up all the parking spots and being a pain in the Hollywood ass while I'm trying to get my coffee. Yeah, that one. Do you know of any movie that's shooting in Portland, Tim, in that area? No, I I know that uh, that other movie was shooting up here, that uh, Cormac, what's his name? Thing with the guy. Oh, the yeah. long road walk? Yeah, thing? the road. The road. The road. Is shooting. That might be it. That's the only one I know about. All right. So, uh, sorry, sir. We have nothing. I have no information, sir. People in the local industry don't speak to me at all. <laughs> you're a pariah, Tim. I am. You're an outcast. You know what it is? You're not a pariah. You're a rebel. That could you know be. what it is, Tim? You're a maverick working on the outskirts of the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. You're a rebel on the back lot. Oh, speaking of which, uh, speaking of rebels in the back lot and pariahs, so I, I know that I said I was going to bring this in today. I'm going to finish it this weekend, um, the series Action on DVD with Jay Moore, which is the kind of comedy about a studio head. I was watching it last night. I'm, I'm about to done with it with the whole set. But it's just one of the best shows that's ever. And I think you will especially love it because it just it does just paint Hollywood as just being the worst place on earth, filled with the, with most horrible people in existence. And it's funny. You got to love it though. Hello, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program, sir, madam, as the case may be. Hey Rick. Hey. Hey, so my name's Eric. Big fan. Um, I'm calling about Craigslist. Yes, sir. So, uh, I know there's a lot of negative, you know, junk out there about Craigslist. Whoa, wow. That. Whoa, hold on. There was a dog suddenly barking in here. Sorry, sir. Hold on just one moment. Wow. I'll take heart attack for a thousand. Jesus. Sarah has her dog Muppet in the studio, and Tim and I both just keeled over from a thrombosis now because the dog started barking for no reason. I forgot wow. he was in here. I forgot he was here, too. And then rah, 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 rah. Tim and I both, and the funny thing is, Tim and I both did the same thing. We clutched our chests with one hand, like <laughs> Red I, 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 Fox I'm, style. I'm aware that he's in here, but I guess he's wow. really hard. Okay. I'm sorry. Let's sorry all take a deep that. breath. Okay. Sir Craigslist, yes, go. So um, I own a company that... Um, we operate on Craigslist, and we make all of our money off of Craigslist. And um, while it's true there's, you know, some scoundrels out there, um, the experience I've had on it for years is just really, really good. Now, I'm not an idiot and don't take, you know, cashier's checks. That's just a, a no-brainer. But... Well, you know, Craigslist is like anything else. Craigslist is like any other section of humanity. Uh, yeah. You know, you've got, as Jack Webb would say, 
You got good people, you got bad people. You got smart folks, you got losers. Craigslist really is just a cross section of humanity, like everything else. And just yeah. Craigslist is like Craigslist, not unlike Grand Theft Auto or Second Life or World of Warcraft, is basically a mirror of society. It is an online city, and like yeah. any online community or city, uh, there's people that are jackasses. You're very, very right. That being said, uh, you know Craigslist has provided this program with many, many, many hours of entertainment, so we love it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Spread the word. Spread the word. Thank you, my friend. All right. There you go. <laughs> wow. I forgot he was here, and he's normally very, very well behaved. Occasionally, someone I think will walk by in the hallway, and he doesn't like the cut of their jib, and immediately it's like up out with the bark. He's very, he's very particular. He really likes yeah. some people and does not like others. Uh, here's Tim Riley. They can be vicious, you know. These uh, lapses, they'll tear you apart. Well, I just I... Him because... <laughs> I, okay. I, oh, and he's growling. Wait, hold on. Can we get him to growl again? Wow. <laughs> Who is he angry at? Richie is staring in the window. Richie, don't tease the dog. <laughs> Do not tap on glass. All right. I had to bring him today because they're selling my apartment building, which means I'll inevitably have, you know, right. no place to live. Yeah, 30-day notice. Well, you know, uh, you know, Max is a Lhasa, and Max can be, uh, you know, he can be uh, sort of, uh, you know, a little, little persnickety about things. We, uh, yeah, we a, like, I can't tell if he's like kind of mentally challenged well, or if he's snobby. Well, everybody sort of made fun of me when it happened, but you remember when we first had Max, uh, the first week or two that we had him, there was that whole, and this will be the only dog story I tell today. Uh, but people kind of made fun at the time, and I suppose it is sort of stupid in retrospect. But we'd had him about a week. And at one point he uh, picked up like a like a toy or something, and he walked up into a room, and then he went crazy. You have Matt come in? Seriously, because he like he went nuts, like he wouldn't like, and you would try to get near him, and it's like immediately he would just like lunge at your neck, and we're like, wow. And it's you know he's a small dog, but as I would say, it's like the teeth only really need to be big for one of your veins. And Muppet Muppet gets the same way, but not with me. He does that with socks. He hoards socks, but it's not for like he will never. He'll always let me touch um, like pick them up or right. whatever. Anyone else comes near his. It's like outcome the teeth and the growl and the whatever. Fly through the That's air. That's kind of when you realize that they are animals. Uh, you yeah, know, they're small, fluffy, animal. cute animals, but they're. It's like a That's care. That's me when people treat their do animals like their dogs as kids and stuff. I'm like, right. you know, I'm kind of aware of the fact that oh, sometimes no. he likes to eat his Muppet, own poop. Muppets and he's an animal. <laughs> Muppets and they're like Care Bears with knives. I mean, they really are. <laughs> so, all right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Speaking of crime and punishment, here's somebody who can dish it out and take it. Now, look, we're going to get the answer sooner or later. How about it? What were you doing with this ring in your pocket? Now, let me tell you, young fella. I don't know what's bothering you, but whatever it is, we're going to find it out and get it through your head. You're in a bad spot. If you're not interested in helping yourself, then neither am I. Now, the monkey's on your back. You're going to have to help scratch it off. Now, get with it. What's it all about? That's so great. All right, let's have your driver's license. Come on, get it out. Is this black and white dragmanette or color? George black John and Miller. 2055 Malcolm Avenue. Is this like a... information? Do you have a phone listing for 2055 Malcolm Avenue? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. 
Mm-hmm. This is like a no good petty thief. Yeah. Some schnook. Yeah. You know, the best ever Dragnet episode is the one where the kids let the baby drown. I mean, not it's not great because of that. But where the baby drowns or whatever because the potheads, the teenage parents, are like partying with the Mary Jane in the living room. And that has that line where Jack Webb says, um... They don't know. They can't tell you. Give me the phone. You Sit down that chair. Oh, there's going to be a beating. If you won't give us the answers, we'll find somebody who will. The sooner you get it through your head, you're not here on traffic ticket, the better. You're going to stay in that chair till we get ready to book you. I'm sick of treating you like a baby. They can't tell you. They don't understand. They can't tell you. That's so great. There's that episode of Dragnet where the, where the teenage parents or whatever, their baby, like, drowns or something because they're busy smoking pot in the in the living room. And Jack Webb, of course, just looks like you know, Joe Friday's had it's one, one, kid, one dead kid too many. And he snaps, and he has that great line where he says... He says, marijuana's, what does he say? Marijuana's the match, LSD's the fuse, heroin is the bomb. And just, I think this might be it. I'll tell you what I know. I know that, in fact, too many kids that begin with pot end up with heroin, then on to LSD. I know that if you drink, you suffer a loss of judgment, if you drink to excess. But I also know that judgment returns when you sober up. I know, and so do you. When you flip out on an acid trip, you never know when you're going to slip out again. This is now, Bentley, not a couple of years ago. We've had time now to see and study the effects of LSD. People who haven't had a dose in weeks sail out on another trip. They never know when. The minute they drop one acid capsule or ingest it in any way, they bought the farm. They've lost any chance to depend on and even restore that most precious of all inner senses, judgment. And in my way of thinking, without judgment, you might as well be dead. Your brain is, so why not the rest of you? We were talking about marijuana. We still are. Marijuana is the flame. Heroin is the fuse. LSD is the bomb. <laughs> LSD is the bomb, kids. Yes. To another pothead, but not to somebody who spends most of their time holding some sick kid's head while he vomits and wretches sitting on a curbstone at 4 o'clock in the morning. And when his knees get enough starch back in him so he can stand up and empty his pockets, you can bet he'll turn out a stick or two of marijuana. And you can double your money. He'll be holding a sugar cube or a cap or two. So don't you con me with your mind expansion, slob. I deal with kids every day. I try to clean up the mess that people like you make out of them. I'm the expert here. You're not. Is that what he's talking to the Timothy Leary guy? Yeah. Yeah. And so this... So this uh, episode ends, though. It has the classic dragnet shot. It ends with just this tight shot on Joe Friday's palm, and he's holding, like, a little bag of weed, and he just angrily crushes up the marijuana, and then it ends, you know, with dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. That's fantastic. You know, and I've mentioned this before. You go to the LAPD main office, though, and the badge 742 is on display, right? As you walk in, you walk past Joe Friday's badge. Also, he was reading all of his lines off cue cards, which is why he had that delivery. And then they just sort of stuck with it. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. What's uh, up? Not much. You, you were just talking about uh, Dragnet there, and I, I, I thought of that same episode right before, right as you were saying this thing. The best part is, though, is that uh, Harry, Harry Morgan, who Colonel Potter and uh, MASH, yeah. he, he got sick, if you remember right, at the last second. He had to run off camera. Because he was, because the baby was floating in the in the in the bathtub. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, uh, it's just one of those things you just start laughing. You go, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Gannon. Joe Gannon wouldn't run off camera or whatever exactly. his name is. Exactly. Is it Joe Gannon? What's his name? Uh, it's um, Joe. It is Gannon. Joe Friday yeah. and I think Bill Gannon. I might thought be it was. I can't remember. It oh, is no. Gannon though. But he, but but so he, but he walks into the bathroom and he sees the horror and then he runs off to be sick. Exactly. That is great. I have to go back and watch that whole episode again at some point. They got I'm sure they're run. They got to run that somewhere. Yeah. They got it. And the best, one of the best ones is when Friday goes over to Gannon's house to go watch some football. Yeah. And and the wife, they bring up the TV trays and the TV dinners and everything else. 
And just the little grilling between Gannon and Friday, it's fabulous. Gotta well, watch it. Because isn't the whole thing where Joe Friday's like the devoted bachelor? Like, you yeah. know, because he's married to the law? Yes, exactly. Excellent. Thank you, sir. You bet. All right, there you go. Fantastic. Kids, LSD is the bomb. Let's take a break here. We'll play this to break. Come back after this. More from Tim Riley around the corner. I think we have Titanic jokes coming up. It might be too much to hope for. Uh, later on, we'll talk to Steve The Hook, Novak. Uh, Scott Daly will be here. We'll do the top five songs, uh, top five bands that Dave Zinn wants us to interview. Stay there. Back after this. Radio program. Hey, I found out about the movie screw that's shooting today. We have, let's see, this is from our good friend Siegfried, who answers uh, all such questions. Rick, the movie that's shooting today is Without a Paddle 2. Who remembers Without a Paddle? No. Burt Reynolds, Seth Green, 2004. Uh, Burt Reynolds is here. <sighs> no, 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 that's the best part about it. He says, the movie that's shooting is Without a Paddle 2, a sequel that has no one starring in it from the original film. Does the, he know who's starring in it, though? It's going straight to video. Has no one you care about. Uh, the original well, that's was all relative. The original has well, we can look it up. The original has Burt Reynolds as a uh, let's see. The original was an okay Burt Reynolds, DB Cooper style comedy, and the dude from okay, the dude Scott from Austin Powers. Yeah, it takes place at uh, about a rafting trip gone wrong in Oregon, but was so the okay. So here's the thing. So the original took place in Oregon, but was filmed in New Zealand. So this one takes place God knows where, but they're filming it here. Uh, reading from Wiki now, uh, Without a Paddle is a 2004 film about men going on a camping trip. The, math, the movie stars Matthew Lillard, Seth Green, and Dax Shepard. The film is a parody of adventure films like Deliverance. And, in fact, Burt Reynolds uh, is in it playing a D.B. Cooper-like character, uh, apparently. Um, oh, okay, here we go. Following a friend's death, three old friends. I see. I, I only knew that Without a Paddle existed. I didn't know much about it. Do you know the synopsis of Without a Paddle? No. No. Listen to this. And how insane is it they didn't film it here? Here's the plot. Following a friend's death, a group of three old pals go on an adventure, a search for the treasure of D.B. Cooper. That's awesome. And then they filmed it in New Zealand. Okay, they're filming the sequel here, though. Uh, let's see, uh, let's see, Without a Paddle, Without a Paddle 2. Let's see if I can see who's starring in this one so we can stalk anybody who might be in town. Um, yeah, let's see, IMDb, Without a Paddle. I couldn't find it on IMDb, but I'm Googling for the, it. Really? There's for the for the sequel? Yeah. Not even in pre-production? Without a paddle, too. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hey. What's up? Hey, uh, you mentioned yes, uh, you were looking for a Titanic joke, and I when I heard that, I was like, oh, wait a second. I know one. Uh, so I tried calling yesterday, but your phone was busy for a while, so all right, so you didn't get one. All right. So you have a Titanic joke for I have for us, a sir. Titanic joke. All right. Do you want to ponder it, or do you feel safe going forward with it? I didn't know there was consequences. I'll tell you I what. Just said it was, I just said I had one. It's, I'm not saying it's good. It's like All right, joke. here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to think about it, and then we'll decide if you want to go forward with it. Here we go. Hold on. Just here's your 10 seconds of pondering. All right, sir. Do you still want to tell your Titanic joke? I have no stake in it, Ricky. You said you didn't have one. I got one. It's a stupid joke. If you want to hear it, I'll tell it. If not, I don't care. Bring it on so that he can, he right. can move forward past the Let's go. Thing. Okay. Bring it. It's, it's stupid. It's, uh, okay, what do you get when you cross the Titanic and an iceberg? I don't know. About halfway. 
<laughs> okay, that's really funny. Did you create that yourself? No, no, no. That's an old one. I was like, when you said you hadn't heard one, all of a sudden I was like, wait a second. There's that old, that, and you could do that with almost like the Challenger. What do you get when you cross the Challenger and a leaky booster rocket? Not very far anyway, but, uh. You should be proud of yourself, sir, because I'd never heard that, and I consider myself sort of a connoisseur and a collector of detritus such as that from the popular culture. So you could have passed that off as your own comedy, and I never would have known the difference. Well, I'm going to ask me around. All right. Well done. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right. There you go. The guy seems so uninvested in the joke. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. I am also uninvested in this joke. But oh, yes. I, uh, I pen, found this one yesterday. Uh, Titanic is sinking, and the captain has told all the men, women, and children first, man walks up to the captain and says, I'm a championship swimmer. How far is it to land? The captain looks at him and says, two miles. Man jumps overboard and yells to the captain, point me in the right direction. And the captain says, down. <laughs> okay, that's funny, too. That's two good Titanic jokes in a row. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. All right, we should go out on that. No more Titanic jokes. And we had two for two there. Can't ask for more than that. Thousand batting average there. All right, here's Tim Riley. How about Lindbergh baby kidnapping jokes? Now, uh, see, and I was I was thinking of that, and then I was thinking Lizzie Borden jokes. Mm -hmm. All right, all I know about Lizzie Borden is, is that poem, but that's it. All right, here's Tim Riley. Law enforcement agencies around the area reminding you if you're away from home this Memorial Day weekend, lock all your doors and windows before leaving. It's a good idea to talk to your neighbors. Let them know that you're away, so they have ample time to take whatever they need. Make sure you have plenty of water and food for the pets, and arrange for them uh, to be taken care of if something happens to you and by all means please drive carefully if something happens to you yeah. i don't understand this is rather morbid advice what do you mean if something happens to you well you know you may be uh, you may decide to stay overnight oh if you're and, delayed uh, in longview an extra evening you might decide to hang out in lovely the grand all right not if something happens to you no that's kind of what i thought you meant all right here's Tim Ryan. please drive carefully all right. as they always tell us am i uh oh it's my pot up here sarah oh, we got to there's oh, okay. a it's good advice, Brad. Well, among others, Cornell University has done quite a bit of study on the nature of auto crashes. Yeah, I know. There are people who have taken that first second of impact, and they've broken it down into tenths. Now, you're driving 55 miles an hour, and you have a head-on. This is what happens. In the first tenth of that fatal second, <laughs> the front bumper and grill collapses. During the second tenth, your hood rises and strikes the windshield. Fenders begin wrapping themselves around the object of collision. You slam on your brakes, but your body is still moving at 55 miles an hour. You step on your legs for the jolt, but they both snap at the knee joint. Wow. tenth of a second, your body catapults from the seat. Broken knees ram into the dashboard. <laughs> the steering wheel begins to collapse. The steering column drives towards your chest. In the fourth tenth, two feet of the car's front end are totally demolished, but the rear end is still traveling at 35 miles an hour. Your body is moving forward at 55. In the fifth tenth, your body's impaled on the steering column. Blood rushes into your lungs. During the sixth tenth, the force of impact... Problems at home, Tim? <laughs> the car frame buckles in the middle. Your head slams into the windshield. In the seventh tenth, the entire car body is distorted. Hinges rip off. Doors spring open. The seat flails through, striking it from behind. But it really doesn't matter. You're dead. You want around to experience the final three tenths of this one second. Neither are your passengers. It doesn't take long to die. <laughs> oh my God. Have a happy Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> this safety reminder is brought to you by Feedly's Symbol Shop of Forest Grove. Wow. I didn't, I mean, even in terms of Dragnet, I really didn't expect that to go quite as far down as it did. I, You had me at my lungs are filling with blood, Tim Riley. God bless you. We need salespeople out selling these things. <laughs> Excellent. Will we be able to hear that sound effect later on during the news?
I could bring it back, I suppose. Right. Here's Tim Riley. Oh, by the way, thank you for bringing in Blender Magazine. I can never get enough Tila Tequila. I was talking to Sarah about Tila Tequila yesterday, who's one of those people that is, and I don't mean inexplicably famous because, like, she's done nothing. I mean, there's a lot of people who are famous who've done nothing. She's inexplicably famous because I don't know a single person who likes Tila Tequila. I don't know one person, male, female. You, you know, I'd like to speak. I, we were talking about this, and the only thing I could think of is that maybe um, lesbians might be into her. Because she had that shot at love thing, too, where she's like, mm. I don't know what I am. Do I like guys or girls? Because she's like, he's uh, all bisexual. No, I don't know. I just, I mean, I, it, just seeing her makes me angry for some reason. I don't know why. I see, Because she's famous for no reason. I, I guess. I mean, well, whatever. Anyway, so thank you for Plunger Magazine, Tim. And for letting me know exactly what a steering column will do to my thorax when I hit it at 55 miles an hour. That'll be repeated on the, the news <laughs> later on this afternoon for those who... Don't have time to listen right but now. But it doesn't matter, because you're already dead. All right, excellent. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. The parents of a Salem runaway girl are worried she ran away with an older man. They reached that conclusion after learning that 13-year-old Melissa Gregory was living a double life through her computer. On one of her MySpace accounts, she says she was 17. On another, she was 28. And through those uh, social networking accounts, Melissa apparently got involved with an older man. She told her friend she met a man online and was going to Washington or California with him. The mother is scared, of course. Salem police are reviewing the MySpace accounts as part of their investigation. They started on Tuesday when her parents learned she lied to them about her whereabouts. She was supposed to be with a known friend, but the girl told them Melissa was really at the apartment of a 16-year-old girl she met online. And you know these social networking, like, it's never, ever going to get better. Like, this is just the tip no. of the iceberg. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse. We're like, oh... It, it will never get better. No, because there's nothing. I mean, because there's, there's, nothing, you there's can do. nothing you can do about it. So, oh, by the way, you know, somebody was talking to us about that Twitter uh, thing a while back, which I guess is a way for you to send like sort of mini bulletins out to everybody. So I'd never really seen it in action until somebody sent me, uh, somebody sent me a link to a site that sort of showed. It, it was like a, a collection of Twitter messages, and I guess the Twitter thing is you, you can do it either from a computer or I guess ideally from your phone. And it's messages that are up to 160 characters in length, sort of letting everybody know what's going on. And it is one of those things that we sort of make fun of, but you can sense that probably if you were like maybe five years younger than us, uh, you would probably start doing it. It would be a thing that you – and it would be just like that. Here's the thing. That Twitter thing is just like that business of everybody on MySpace buying each other as pets, which makes what no sense to me at all. That? I what have no that? idea. My girl Lisa and I were out last night, and we sat there and talked about it for 15 minutes, and we have no idea what it means. Is it, it real money? Is it fake money? Because we came in today, Richard's like, yeah, sure, I bought you as a pet for $200. What the hell is that? Which just it's sounds just, disturbing and weird. Yeah, it's just really weird. And it never existed until about eight weeks ago. And so a as of about, oh, I don't know, the end of – like March, I started seeing these things that would appear on my MySpace page where it would indicate that someone had, quote, purchased me for $725. I just, I always thought they were spam, so I always just delete those. Well, I, make any sense. Them or I have no idea. So we'll, uh, we'll bring Richie in to talk about that later. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Hey, Rick. I just wanted to ask, could you replay that Dragnet clip under the really soothing music <gasps> from earlier this week? Hey, that's a great idea. Sim, do you have that Dragnet clip still? Eh, and I'm back and look at it. All right, thank yeah. you, sir. Hold on, that's a well done. I'm I'm embarrassed for not thinking of that myself. I'll get this ready. Yeah. All right. <laughs> then your lungs filled with blood. Then the sky was as the sky was as sackcloth. Then the seventh seal was broken, and the angel of death killed the fourth-born male child in every household. All right, let me. Um, while you're finding that, let me refill my cup of coffee, and then we'll do it. <laughs>
I found it. Already got it. All right, let me go ahead and prepare this music. All right, uh, let's see. And okay, whenever you're ready, Tim. All right, here we go with that dragnet clip. Well, among others, Cornell University has done quite a bit of study on the nature of water crashes. Yeah, I know. There are people who have taken that first second of impact and they've broken it down into tenths. Now you're driving 55 miles an hour and you have a head on. This is what happens. In the first tenth of that fatal second, the front bumper and grill collapses. During the second tenth, your hood rises and strikes the windshield. Fenders begin wrapping themselves around the object of collision. You slam on your brakes, but your body is still moving at 55 miles an hour. You zip on your legs for the jolt, but they both snap at the knee joint. During the third tenth of a second, your body catapults from the seat. Broken knees ram into the dashboard. The steering wheel begins to collapse. The steering column drives towards your chest. In the fourth tenth, two feet of the car's front end are totally demolished, but the rear end is still traveling at 35 miles an hour. Your body is moving forward at 55. In the fifth tenth, your body's impaled on the steering column. Blood rushes into your lungs. During the sixth tenth, the force of impact is built up so that your feet are ripped out of your shoes. The brake pedal shears off. The car frame buckles in the middle. Your head slams into the windshield. In the seventh tenth of a second, the entire car body is distorted. Hinges rip off. Doors spring open. The seat flails and striking it from behind. But it really doesn't matter. You're dead. You aren't around to experience the final three tenths of this one second. Neither are your passengers. It doesn't take long to die. Excellent. Thank you, Tim. You're welcome. Wonderful. All right. My many services. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Well, let's talk about uh, John McCain. Uh, because he is in the news. He was on the uh, television show Ellen with Ellen DeGeneres. And uh, she joked about the senator giving her away at her wedding. I've heard you articulate that position in a very eloquent fashion. We just have a disagreement. And uh, I, along with many, many others, wish you every happiness. Thank you. So you'll walk me down the aisle? Uh, he offers his uh, position on the uh, gay marriage. I just believe in the unique status of marriage between man and woman. And I know that we have a respectful disagreement on that issue. All right. I just, uh, I just, uh, John McCain just makes me irritated. And you know what John McCain is? Like, I don't even, I, I don't even really dislike John McCain. But you know what John McCain is like? He's like an itchy sweater. You know what I mean? Where he's just sort of, John McCain, he's like he's low-grade irritating, and he just sort of makes you feel kind of stuffy and hot and sort of smothered. And like, you just kind of want to get rid of it and get it off and just, you know, just toss it into the hamper. You don't really actively hate the sweater. It's just you don't want to have it on you or anywhere near you because it makes you feel sleepy and annoyed. That's what John McCain does to me. So those uh, Texas FLDS moms have been on Larry King, uh, and they talked about their children being taken away. So they found out they really shouldn't have taken them away because how do you give them back now? The FLDS member, Zavanda Young, said her nine-year-old son is suffering after being removed from the Texas polygamy ranch. He's trying to be strong. He's, they've taken all the religion out of their life. He has hit his songbook so that he could keep that. I'm crazy. All right. Uh, Willie Jessup says he's not Willie shocked Jessup. that the uh, court ruled in favor of the uh, polygamous mom. I wasn't surprised. It had to come down because we needed every person to have an individual hearing and look at their case instead of what the judge refers to as a roundup. Willie Jessup, did he say while chewing on some straw outside the general store with his thumbs hooked into his pants? I mean, they're like Little House on the Prairie people. Well, yeah. except with multiple partners. It's the Little House that is scary, Tim. I suppose so. <laughs> well, now that Ted Kennedy is healing up, or we're being told he is, uh huh. A noted brain cancer expert says his quality of life may not change one bit. In <laughs> general, really? many brain tumor patients do go on with their normal activities, 
uh, and uh, there, there often can be very few restrictions depending upon where the tumor is located and, and how the disease has manifested itself. So Ted Kennedy will be able to slump drunkenly in a corner as he has been for many, many years now without any interruption at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is anybody planning to have a barbecue this holiday weekend? Why, Sarah? Oh, I'm sure I'll be going to a couple. I will not be. I will be sitting inside with my blinds drawn, avoiding any and all human contact. Well, if you really want to get even with somebody, tell them to use plenty of hand sanitizer and start barbecuing. <laughs> Don't do this. This is not a thing that you should do. We meant that satirically just now. Apparently, this hand sanitizer has ethyl alcohol in it, which uh, will make you combust. <laughs> if you're barbecuing, put it on your hands beforehand. See, the uh, fire people from Farmington Hills... I'm Minnesota. We have seen reports of people having burn injuries to their hands or possibly their face as a result of these sanitizers. I do like the idea of a guy just sort of, you know, deciding to clean up right before he goes to grill, and then just suddenly, just sort of hands. I can't touch this filthy meat. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sorry, everything's making me laugh right now. I don't know why. I think it's all back to the dragnet lungs filling with blood thing. Uh, this email says, hey, Rick, I have two friends who like Tila Tequila. The only reason they like her is because of her last name and that and because she's short and loose. All right, well, fair enough. Those are those are re those are legitimate reasons, sir. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. How you doing, Rick? Hey, what about it? <laughs> hey, uh, just something about that dragnet. I can remember watching that stuff when I was 10, 11, 12, and it was just so serious. We were sitting there as kids with our, you know, mouths open and eyes just like, wow, this is crazy. And now after listening to it with you, it's funnier than heck, man. I just... You need to have, like, a dragnet lister party. It's, okay. <laughs> How would such a party unfold, sir? What would be the hallmarks of such a gathering? we get people dressing up like, like uh, you know, Officer Friday and Gannon, and we'd come in there and get best dressed and all that. And, and, and also, too, a couple days ago, the thing about Sarah wanting to have lunch with Mr. Adams, I think half of your half of your listeners would run for mayor if we could go out to dinner with Sarah. Aww. Oh, that's, that's sweet. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right, buddy. Have a good right. weekend. You too, sir. Thank right. you. Bye now. All right. Uh, Rick, the story about that 13-year-old girl claiming she was 28 makes me panic. My 11-year-old brother asked me to create a space for him. Upon doing so, he asked me to set his age at 22. He looks 10, acts like he's 5, and now he wants to be 22. Um... I stopped building his MySpace page right then. I don't need crazy, disgusting pedophiles ogling my only sibling. Oh, speaking of building MySpace pages, I really want to help Richie with his MySpace page. I don't really know that anything is going to help. But it, it, it I don't think hurt. Richie needs any help. <laughs> Richie can alienate women all on his own, Sarah. He doesn't need you to assist him with that. I know. Well, I just I want Richie to find himself a nice girl, and the way it's going, it's settle not down. Right. That's exactly. Why would you want to introduce a nice girl to Richie? Think of the girl. I mean, really. That's true. I think it's just stemming from the fact, like, I'm tired of, uh, of looking at that gross video that he has of him, like. Where he's covered in pus? Yes. I can't imagine why girls don't pay attention. He's like, why can't I get a girl? <laughs> As we've seen, like, a hole in his face. Well, we'll have, a, we'll have him in next hour, but we'll talk about the, his MySpace page. Because does, does Richie have one of those? I, and I've never really spent much time there. Is Richie's MySpace page one of those? Does it have a lot of like blinking, glittery things that say thanks for the ad and like dancing icons yes, and the thing a lot that twirls that. around? And, and he has like the busiest background too with like this, this like horrible like Microsoft Paint like smiley face thing with headphones on it and it says Richie Radio. Please tell me that it's a tiled graphic. It is a tiled graphic. It takes up the entire background? Yes, yeah. With a bunch of a bunch of colors and. Of oh. course. Yeah. But is it, uh, please tell me that also that the background of Richie's MySpace page is uh, that the color. Color is such that it makes the text kind of difficult to read. 
It very much so is. Here's the other thing you should also do when you have a MySpace page. Fill it with videos and songs that start playing all at the same time, sometimes over the top of one another. Also make sure you have a background that takes a long time to load so that even if the text and the background work together, it doesn't matter because the background takes so long to load that I can't read anything. And I am then required to actually use the cursor and to highlight all of the text with the cursor so that I can give it some kind of contrast to read. Oh, that's exactly, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Richie has, let's see, he has one, What is his two, MySpace quote? Three, he has three different media players going. Of course he does. Why not? Two uh, YouTube videos. Oh, God, one of them's the, the, thing. the pus thing. Does he have a quote? Um, Let's see. No, it's just his uh, website, I barely knew her.com. Is his status or whatever set to swinger? You know what, since he uh, is a, a music since the music oh, it doesn't, you don't have that. All right, okay. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Well, it seems that Hillary Clinton left $55,000 in unpaid bills when she traveled to Indiana. The amount adds up to the debt for appearances made by Hillary, Bill, and Utter Chelsea through March and April. The money is due because the university charged campaigns for security sound equipment and other needs for the events. School officials apparently knew there was a chance that the bills wouldn't be paid... Uh, the university says they're happy that she came to visit, but who's going to pay for this thing? I have no idea. So she's also uh, $20 million in, in debt right now. <laughs> I like how that's the, that is the, as the sort of footnote there. That's the asterisk. Oh, by the way, her campaign also has substantial personal deficits totaling more than $20 million. Let's do one more here, and then I believe uh, we will talk to Steve Novick. So uh, be extra uh, careful this uh, holiday weekend when you're barbecuing because if you have that hand sanitizer, well, you could combust. Unless you allow them to evaporate totally, your hands are dry, if you're in the area of your campfire or your grill or something like that, they can ignite and burn you. And then you yourself will evaporate totally. Yes. Hey, Richie, are you in the, uh, are you in the room? Are you looking at the warm line? Can you, in fact, hear my voice at all? Are you anywhere within the sound on, of this Richie. broadcast? Am I speaking to no one? Maybe he's talking to a gal. I, that seems highly unlikely. It seems like he's talking to a cigarette butt uh, out back. I, I don't think oh, he's here. Okay. Yeah, do you feel like answering the warm line? It, 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 it doesn't say, I'm sorry, it doesn't say anything here. Okay. The screen is not updated. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be excoriating you just now, just Richie. My apologies. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Please forgive me. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, our next guest is a longtime political activist, former environmental lawyer and candidate uh, for the United States Senate. Uh, let us now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show, Steve Novick. Hello, sir. Hello, Rick. How's... Thanks for having me on. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for joining. I know it's been uh, kind of a crazy a few months for you, and then, of course, leading up uh, to Tuesday, which was insane. So are you, uh, what are you doing? Are you just, are you sitting in a room with the blinds drawn and just a Mai Tai in one hand and the remote control sitting next to you and just, <laughs> you're just vegging out? I mean, that's really, I think on the heels of any social interaction, I just become a gelatinous mass. I can't even imagine what you do after like a political campaign. Well, in my case, my girlfriend and I drove down to Ashland, and we saw a spectacular production of A Midsummer Night's Dream last night. And now we're sitting in the coffee shop figuring out where we will spend tonight in our spectacularly beautiful state. So is this sort of That's a awesome. it's sort of a trip with where you're kind of making it up as you go along? Those can be uh, those can exactly, be. Yeah, we had last night planned, and we didn't get around to planning tonight. Wait, so you say and, that you are are you in Ashland now as we speak? 
I am indeed. So that means that probably within, I don't know, 10 feet of you, there's probably a guy on a unicycle and somebody else juggling something while wearing a Dr. Seuss hat and saying, this, this shirt made of hemp. Uh, let's see. There's a guy with a shirt that definitely is made of hemp. Uh, there's no unicycle, but uh, there is definitely a juggler, and I think that he's juggling, uh, let's see, otters. Excellent. And beware of Ren Fairs, because they can spring up around you in Ashland with, like, no warning whatsoever. So uh, so I guess the question is, so, uh, quo vadimus, Steve Novick, where, whither, whither shall you go now? Well, I think I'll just uh, keep on doing what I've been doing for the last 12 years. Bill Sizemore has a bunch of dangerous ballot measures on this year, and the usual team is going to have to get together to beat them, and I hope to be part of that team. And we need to elect a mess of good Democrats, including Jeff Berkeley, and I'll help to do that. And there's some other projects I've been working on with my firm, my consulting firm, that does sort of specialized public policy communications work. And one project we're working on is uh, trying to – it's kind of a grandiose one. There's a foundation in Seattle – that has been its motto about the fact that we tend to measure progress in this country by the gross domestic product. But the gross domestic product measures the total amount of money we spend on everything in America, but it doesn't really measure whether we're getting anything for it. So, for instance, if the cost of health care go way up, that increases the gross domestic product regardless of whether people are getting healthier. So this foundation would like Congress and the next administration to consider adopting some new measurements, or at least when the gross domestic product measures are announced, point a caveat it by pointing out that, you know, the fact that we're spending a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean that the environment is better, that health care is better, et cetera. And the hope is that that will mean that in future administrations when the economy is allegedly good, People won't get complacent and think, well, GDP is up, then we shouldn't be working on our big long-term problems. The phrase of the economy allegedly being good is sort of interesting because that's one of the things that our uh, our esteemed president was saying a few weeks ago, that he felt that for, for, for most Americans, he felt like people were, you know, living, you know, they, they were better off than they were eight years ago. And I know John McCain has mouthed some sentiments to that effect, that he believes people are better off than they were a few years back. As you, when you were kind of going around Oregon, uh, what were and you would sort of talk to people. What were the big concerns? What were the what were the things that people would say to you that they felt needed handling or addressing? Like, what are people worried about right now? Well, one huge thing, of course, is health care. That people are worried about the fact that fewer people have health care. They're worried about the increasing cost for those that have it. About the effect on the international competitiveness of our businesses of having employers pay for health care that cost of which keeps on going up and up. So trying to figure out a way to have health care for everybody but also to control costs is something very much in people's minds. And one of the most interesting things to me is that doctors would tell me that they understand we need to figure out a way to control costs, and that needs to happen even if some of them make a little less money. We have a system where a lot of specialists, and we probably have too many specialists in America compared to Europe where they try to deliver more, more care through primary care doctors, I talked to a radiologist, for instance, a few months ago who said, look, I make a lot of money under the current system. I'm on the gravy train, but I realize the system has to change. And we have a system now where doctors and hospitals are paid by the procedure. So the more machines they run people through, the more money they make, regardless of whether it really adds that much to people's care. 
So that's one thing that, as Governor Kitzhaber already says, we really need to get a handle on. What do you so we figure out a ways to make the health care system more efficient while providing care to more people? What do you make of this uh, this insanity uh, the, with the Oregon Supreme Court? What is that, I think a day ago, two days ago, or this latest sort of uh, the roadblock the gay marriage? Uh, that they that they found that the measure was constitutional. Well, I think that there was because they had tried to they tried to institute it, and then it's you know one of those things where we've gone around and around and around where it gets it gets the thumbs up, then it gets the thumbs down, then it gets the thumbs up and the thumbs the, down. I mean, and to tell the truth, in the past couple of days, I've been reading the papers carefully as I was in the previous year and most of my life, for that matter. But I think that the court, unless I'm wrong, the court just ruled that the measure itself was passed sort of procedural test for constitutionality, that it wasn't a revision of the Constitution. Uh, it was simply an amendment. And they, there's a distinction between the way you have to pursue a revision, which is sort of a sweeping um, change to the Constitution, and the way you have to pursue a mere amendment. And the court said this is a mere amendment, not a revision. And legally, I mean, I'm extremely sympathetic to the cause of same-sex marriage. I worked hard to defeat Measure 36. But legally, I can't say that the Court of Appeals decision was obviously wrong. As, as I mean, we, what I hope is that, that you know, the next few years, as public opinion of this issue evolves, we can pass a new resolution which will say that we're not going to discriminate against people on you know, the basis of sex. That means sexual orientation. We're talking to Steve Novick. As we as we sort of get ready to, to wrap things up, thanks uh, again for spending time with us. I wanted to ask you just uh, uh, sort of an outside question, which is, as you were kind of doing the campaign, did you ever hear from, uh, you know, like activist groups or, or uh, you know, the, the like the ADA or anybody about who had an issue with the way that you were doing, like the votehook.com and the kind of ads you were running? Did you ever hear from people who thought that, you know, is disrespectful or that you were, uh, you know, that it was, that it was uh, you know, they found it tasteless or anything like that? Precisely the opposite. The reaction we got from advocacy groups for, the, for people with disabilities was phenomenally supportive, and they said that they couldn't imagine anything better for people with disabilities than having someone with obvious disabilities campaigning uh, and not hiding the fact that they had disabilities, sort of making fun, having fun with them, uh, you know, accentuating them, and they thought that that was just great. And my, I mean, I was doing it partly because my experience over the years has been that most people have absolutely no problem dealing with people who look a little different. But sometimes, like when I'm standing online in the grocery store, I'll see like a little kid pointing at me and asking the parent a question about it, and the parent will say, don't, you know, don't stare at the man. And the parent will be kind of uncomfortable with the kid right. being interested. And then I'll walk over to them. I generally make a point of walking over to the kid and showing, showing the kid my hand, et cetera. And the parent has this huge sigh of relief, like, oh, okay, it's okay to be interested. The guy's okay with the kid, with my kid being interested. So our feeling was with the ads, if we make it clear to people that I'm perfectly comfortable with having a metal hand and being really short, we would make them comfortable, too. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you again for spending a few uh, a few moments with us. Enjoy, Ashlyn. And we've had some listeners who say here, uh, if you have a moment, try a restaurant there called the Thai Pepper, which is apparently uh, very highly recommended in that fine city. So, Steve Novick, best of, best of continued success in, in all that you do, my friend. Thank you again for giving us a couple moments of your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. There you go. Steve Novick, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, 503-733-2970. All right, that guy's very cool. Yeah, that was awesome. Right. Hello, Tim Riley. That was a very fine interview. Let's plunge on ahead on KCMD Portland. Well, Utah's Governor Huntsman says every citizen in the state should be outraged by the price of gasoline. 
when you look at you know 130, 136 dollars per barrel of oil, this is outrageous. And to think that we're going to be at four and maybe beyond four, it's to the point where people are saying, "I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm going to consider alternatives." What would they be? I have no idea. Well, this is kind of the part and parcel of the discussion we had yesterday about, like, this is the guy demanding that I do more to, you know, to revolutionize Americans' fuel consumption, which apparently I haven't done enough yet. No. I may have to be one of those, like, crazy, like, I'll have, like, one of those Mr. and Mrs. Howell devices where I'm, like, pedaling and it's, like, a weird, like, a helicopter made out of bamboo that I take to work or something. Oh, the Nina is uh, coming this afternoon. It's going to be docked at 5 Southeast Madison Street on East Bank Esplanade till Monday morning, June 2nd. Is it Nina or Nina? Oh, I think it's Nina. There is it. Is, 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 you know that? Is that I, true? I Your mom's it, a Spanish it has, it has a funny little, it has little thing, thing, thing over it. Yeah, I believe it's Nina. I got really screwed on that one time when somebody didn't tell me I was pronouncing, um, I was pronouncing uh, años incorrectly. And I was talking about, I was talking about my birthday in Spanish, and I didn't use. I didn't. I was. I have 25 anuses. Because <laughs> for those who don't know, because anos, because años is years. Yeah. Anos with no tilde is anus. And that's one of those things where you wonder if maybe they. Like if they designed it that way just to just to screw with people who didn't speak the language. And I was and I was trying to be all like. Because the, because if you say, you know, blah, 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 20, 25 or whatever it is in Spanish, años, you're saying, I have 25 years. Mm -hmm. The other way you're saying, I have 25 anuses, which is, you know, doesn't get me wrong. That's also kind of interesting and admirable. I'd want to have a conversation with somebody who had 25 anuses. It just wasn't really accurate. So here's Tim Riley. No, there's some other stuff coming in that Hillary apparently said. Let's see here. And this is from what? It looks like it's from the New York Post. Oh, it is. So you know it's going to be bad. I'm waiting for this to load. All right. It'll be ready any time. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hillary Clinton today brought up the assassination of Senator Robert Kennedy while defending her decision to stay in the race against Barack Obama. Well, that's awkward. That is awkward. I mean, what did she say? What were the actual... Uh, let's see here. Uh, Obama, the first African-American to advance so far in the race with the White House, has faced threats. Robert Kennedy, of course... Uh, so we're coming up on the, on the anniversary of the Robert F. Kennedy right. assassination within the next couple of weeks. So apparently, uh, let's see here. Uh, my husband did not wrap up the nomination in 1992 until he won the California primary somewhere in the middle of June, right? We all remember Robert Kennedy was assassinated in June in California. I don't understand it, she said. This was in calls to drop out. Yeah. So, so people are talking, so people are asking her to drop out, and then her response is to try to work in a reference to, to Robert, Robert Kennedy, Kennedy being assassinated. Yeah. What? Uh, well, you know what that's about. I mean, that's totally that's one of the, and that that is that is one of those things that Hillary is really good at. But fear mongering. But 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 in a way that you can't quite put your finger on. You know what I mean? Like she didn't say anything about Barack Obama, right? Mm -hmm. She didn't use his name. Uh, she never made. She never implied Ooh, in any direct. That makes me not like her. Well, well but if she, you know she was evil. I, mean, I, did I you guess not so. Think no, Hillary I Clinton didn't was really think she was horrible. Oh, of course she's horrible. I mean, she's awful. I mean, she is. Uh, I, I mean, don't even respect her hair anymore. I mean, she, she is a soulless politobot. I mean, but that's one of those things where she's able to sort of lay it between the lines uh, in a way that you can't really quantify, but that we all know is there. And for good or bad, I mean, that's one of those, it's one of the things that she's, uh, that she is sort of skilled at. So, all right. Work is expected to start this year at Chernobyl on the structure to entomb the shattered nuclear reactor. They're just getting around to doing this. <laughs> it blew up 22 years ago. Uh -huh, 22 years. Blew up in 1986. <laughs> Maybe we have to cover this flaming nuclear reactor that is poisoning all of the world. It's going to be crowned by a steel arch to lock in radioactive dust. Would it be any less? <laughs> 
It was two decades ago. Uh-huh. Well, there, well, you know how slow the Soviet system is. I suppose. Uh, the arch was built by a French-led consortium. And it's supposed to be completed in 2012. They've been too busy chasing Indiana Jones. So estimates uh, of deaths uh, range from 9,000 to 93,000. Radioactive <laughs> levels near the plant are still 30 times the acceptable levels. <laughs> It'll be 100 years before people get resettled there. Well, fantastic. All right. Between nine and 90,000 people. They're yeah. not quite sure. No. All right. Why would they just, I they mean... They might have lost a clicker in the middle of the <laughs> Well, the guy's running for his life. Or maybe his arm fell off. <laughs> Everyone who has been dosed with radiation, please form one orderly line to write. Jesus. All right. I mean, why wouldn't they have... Look, I know that maybe the Soviet system wasn't uh, as uh, ideally efficient as it might have been. But why would you not cover that maybe five years after the fact? What could they have been busy doing? I mean, right? They had, I mean, that was in 86. They had a good five years where they had to really worry about running into West Germany. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, whatever. Well, this seems kind of strange. A cat food bank is opening up in Sherwood to help cat owners feed their felines. So no cat will go without food or end up in a shelter due to an owner's hard times. This is for cats only, not for dogs. Yeah, that's discrimination, Tim, and I won't have it. They're seeking donations of unopened, unexpired cat food. Whatever. Uh, this is uh, put, up, put up by uh, Sherwood's Cat Adoption Team, which is C-A-T, Cat mm-hmm. Adoption yeah, Team. I, yeah. It's going right. to be open uh, Sunday, June 1st. It operates the first Sunday of every month from 12 to 4. Hooray. It'll help uh, cat owners. I'm sure they're concerned about cats. Uh, toothpicks glued into locking mechanisms of more than 100 doors at a Central Florida high school in an apparent prank. Have authorities searching for two people who were caught on surveillance cameras milling around the campus. It happened in the middle of the night. The video shows two individuals walking around the courtyard at the high school. The amount of damage is not known. Anyone with information is asked to call the, uh, the Winter Springs, Florida police. So they glue toothpicks while the door locks. This uh, email says, uh, what the hell is wrong with Muppet? Is he a dog or a triple? Sounds like he belongs on Star Trek. He does make, like, weird, low-grade vibrating uh, sounds. My dog does the same thing. Yeah. It's it's a lot of things. Let's see here. Um, Yeah, more ideas for super delicate T-shirts. Rick, here's Rick, I wanted to make a request. A long time ago, you played a clip on your show featuring Bruce Williams. He was doing a show when all of a sudden he started spouting gibberish. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I don't remember the circumstances surrounding it, but it sounded like his brain broke or something. I've been looking for the clip for years, but I've never been able to find it. I was wondering if you could play it again or put a link on your website. Here's the thing about that. I've had several requests for that over the years where it was a clip from Bruce Williams' radio show, and I'm a big fan of Bruce Williams, as is Tim, and it was he, I guess the explanation that we later heard was that he had gone on the air and he had taken a whole bunch of cold medicine and something, like he'd taken some strong prescription cold medicine, and he had gone crazy on the air for about two hours. And it really, and it's amazing that no one told him, right? That like right. none of his people, Danny, who was his call screener at one point, and how sad that I remember the name of Bruce Williams' call screener, Danny, um, that no one stepped and said, Bruce, you Bruce, you've gone crazy. Because at one point he was telling the woman to get a whole, to get a yacht and fill it with cocktail sauce. That's the uh, only line I remember that you want to do. Tiger, you want to get a yacht and you want to fill it with cocktail sauce. And he just started speaking gibberish. And we had the tape because a listener sent me the cassette tape of Bruce Williams going crazy. But here's the thing. I don't know where I lost it at some point. I, I lost it in one of my moves. I don't know where it is. I have no idea where it got to. And I've never heard it again. That's the thing. is, It's not an urban legend. I mean, we had the tape. We had it. We played it on the air. 
Um, but I lost the cassette tape, and I hadn't made a backup of it. So people every now and again will email in, and they will ask us to play this tape of Bruce Williams going crazy on the air, and I actually don't have it. So if anybody does have a copy of that show where Bruce Williams goes nuts, let uh, Rick Emerson wet his beak. You know, you send that my way, because I've actually lost my copy of it, and I do regret that with everything in me. Here's Tim Riley. Oh, I, I do have another story here from Russia. They are very angry over the new Indiana Jones film. Uh... They're condemning it. They're calling it crude anti-Soviet propaganda. That distorts history and calls for it to be banned from Russian screens. Uh, apparently, there is an evil... Uh, I don't want to spoil the movie, but it's a KGB agent played by Kate Blanchett who finds a skull endowed with mystic powers. Whatever you do, don't spoil the movie, Tim. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what calls is how together with America we defeated Hitler and how we sympathize when Bin Laden hit them. But go ahead and scare kids with communists. <laughs> These people have no shame says a Communist Party member in Russia's second city. Wait a minute, communism is gone there. That's what I thought. So apparently, at least one is still around. The comments are made at a meeting of a local Communist Party. Which, you know, is just like three guys sitting at a card table playing dominoes and eating borscht. That's exactly what that is. Our women don't look like Nazis. But maybe Kate Blanchett was threatened by unemployment, so she made this film. Uh, I don't really know, uh, because I haven't spent like a lot of time in Russia or anything, but I'm suspecting that most Russian women of that age don't really look like Kate Blanchett either. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, Lisa Desjardins was actually making this observation. She said we were having dinner, she was saying that, um, uh, that how did she put it? Because she lived in Russia for like three years, and she was saying that she... She doesn't really know what's in the water over there, but that Russian women, there is some switch that gets flipped because they go from being like young Russian women are kind of hot looking in a weird way, you know, sort of like an aggro kind of a way. But then it's like they hit the age of like 30 and they just turn into potatoes wearing a babushka. Yeah. I mean, they don't look like they've been carved out of walnuts or something. So I don't know. Is, and then just, they just become, you know, they just get the one huge, like the monobrow and then, you know, and they're just shaped like a stump. So, you know, what can you do? Uh, Harrison Ford and Kate Blanchett are second-rate actors serving as the running dogs of CIA. <laughs> we need to deprive these people of the rights of entering this country. When was this press release written? This sounds like it's from 1965. <laughs> the film is of low quality. It would raise a smile if there wasn't a danger of drawing it into teenagers' orbit. We, we know nothing about the 1950s, said we another will member. We you. Uh, they want to ask their culture ministry to ban the film for its anti-Soviet propaganda. Indians and aliens unite with Jones in this untruthfulness of these bunnies trying to save the world from a Russian threat. What rubbish. Simply paranoid Churchillian fantasy. <laughs> I think they had like a leftover memo somehow in a drawer, and they figured it was a waste to use it, so they just went and they crossed out like Speed Racer, you know, or whatever the 1960s reference was, and they just wrote it, Indiana Jones, and sent it off. By the way, uh, Chris Paddock from KUFO came in my office today because he did not, when we all went to, Pickings, what's on your microphone, Tim? Lint. <laughs> Look over and you're waving at bats and picking lint up your microphone. Um, I can't speak in a microphone that has lint on it. So when we, so when we went to um, uh, when we went to the movie the other night, so Court and Fatboy and Tim and I and Chris Paddock all went, and Chris ended up having to go home because because he hadn't seen his wife in, in a long time. He'd been busy, and so he's like, I have to go home. I can't ignore my wife for another two hours. I gotta leave. So he ended up not seeing it the other night, but he saw it last night. And he had been avoiding the spoilers, every, and I won't give any spoilers here, but every time we talked about it, like he would leave the room, I went in, and Court and Fatboy and I were sort of discussing the various things that went right or wrong with the new Indiana Jones film, and Paddock like, went in and shut the office door, and every time he would walk through the room, he would kind of put his fingers in his ears, and he'd la 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 because he didn't want to hear anything. So he came in today, uh, and he sat down in the chair uh, in my office, and he goes, well, I saw it last night. And I said, and what did you think? And he had all of the same compliments that we had, 
And he had all of the same complaints that we had. And again, I won't give this specific moment away. Are you going to see it this weekend? Mm. You got to see it just so you can get it done. I hate, it makes me a bad geek That's to say true. that, but just to it's get like it over. It's like getting it. a flu shot. That's exactly the. That, well, you know what? It and, is. It's exactly like that. And it's like it's not like I'm gonna like be spinning at the river or anything because the weather's all crappy. So I guess yeah. it's a good excuse to go watch. Oh it. my god! It just started. To, I mean, it just it started raining last night. I don't hear where you're talking about the weather, but uh, Laura and I went out last night. Right. It was just pouring. Um, what was my point? I was making some point. Blah 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 blah. Indiana Jones. It is like getting a flu shot, though, right? Because you just see, and I, I'm, I'm, and I sound like such a jerk, like I'm being so negative about it, but I just wanted to get it done because I didn't want to see it this weekend where it's just like, you know, because then every theater you go to is just going to be filled with a bunch of savages, uh, you know, just sitting there and like snapping their gum and answering the cell phone and like unwrapping things loudly. I knew if at least we saw it at the midnight screening the other night, it'd be with the right crowd. It'd be with a respectful crowd that went there to enjoy the movie, not just because they like were killing time between, you know, visits to the Cajun grill. Uh, so I'm glad I saw it, but it really was in some ways like getting it done for show prep. There is this moment, though, that we sort of talked about a little bit yesterday that you that you will know. You will know this moment when it happens, where, where you just cannot believe what you are seeing. Where, where, you, where, you, where you're looking at the screen, you're going, come on. Like, do they really expect me to be watching this with a straight face? Also, here's the conclusion that Chris Paddock and I came to today about George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and Indiana Jones 4. You know what it is? Because here's the thing is I have so little faith in George Lucas. Like, I don't expect George Lucas to ever make a good movie ever again. Uh, I no longer expect any sort of quality to come from him. But I do expect quality from Steven Spielberg. Like, I expect better from him. And so having seen Indiana Jones 4, and there's just a bunch of jaw-droppingly bad moments that happen, all of them kind of in the center of the film. And I couldn't figure out why those moments existed. And then we nailed it. George Lucas is the bad crowd. George Lucas is the bad friend that your mom says uh, not to spend time with because he's a bad influence on you. That's what he is. Or George Lucas is the guy that goes, no, 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 cut class. No, use a lot of CGI. Yeah, no, no, no. No, have shallow human characterizations and stunts that don't impress anybody and could never possibly happen. No, 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 have everything done against a green screen, Steven. It'll make you look grown up. Steve, George Lucas is the guy who whispers in Steven Spielberg's ear and is the terrible influence on his filmmaking. I get the feeling if you could go back and remove George Lucas from the equation and just have Spielberg make this in some sort of vacuum, it would end up being a much better film than it really is. So that is unfortunate, but that is the way it is. Here's Tim Riley. Meanwhile, the Russians wanted to be known that they had laser cannons long before us. Apparently, the Boeing company recently test-fired a high-energy laser cannon. But the Russian officials said, we tested a similar system back in 1972. Whatever. Even then, our laser cannon was capable of hitting targets with high precision. We move far ahead since then. The U.S. has had a hard time keeping pace with our research and development. From where are these quotes coming? Uh, this comes to us from Novosky, Russia's new service. Has has there been some sort of a weird time lapse that I'm unfamiliar with? Are they are? Well, they're mad about this Indiana Jones. Is is Ivan is Ivan once again our sworn enemy? I suppose so. Well, all right. Uh, hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Um. With any kind of, uh, I mean, ever since, like, Jurassic Park and stuff, yeah. I'm always looking out for, like, the next theme park ride. Yes, sir. You know, you'll see something dangling, and you go, oh, that's going to show up at Universal Studios. I right. see that, and um, which I, I haven't seen the movie yet, and this, this is one of the reasons why, because I just, I grow to hate those kind of things when they pop up. Um Tell me there wasn't a Jar Jar Binks movie, or, I mean, a Jar Jar Binks kind of a thing going on. Well, it's funny, by the way, that you do say theme park, because, and that you say Jurassic Park, because I remember seeing Jurassic Park in the theater, and 
the person that I saw the movie with, I remember at one point he actually leaned over and he said, I can already see the Universal Studios ride in my head. Yep. And it was absolutely true. Um, as far as a Jar Jar Binks moment, um, I mean... They don't, they, don't, they don't stretch it that badly, do they? I, well, when you say stretch it that badly, do you mean in terms of introducing a character that is just ridiculous? Just a throwaway character that's there just for exploitation. Doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. Never did. They have the Mitchell just... Bickford guy. I mean, there's a Mitchell Bickford guy who doesn't really do a whole lot. There's, um, I mean, I, I'll say this. I'll say that there is a character in the film. There's a double cross that happens at some point. I'll put it that way. There's a okay. double. There's a double cross that happens that is so, that is telegraphed so far in advance. I mean, the minute the character appears on the screen, you're like, good guy, you know, good guy who's really a bad guy. And then about 40 minutes later, they pay off what they think the audience didn't see coming. So there's that. Here's the thing about about Indiana Jones uh, in terms of, like, theme ride stuff. There's a there's a big chase sequence that happens. And, again, these are not spoilers because Steven Spielberg does this stuff in all his films. There's there's a big chase sequence that happens that you you know that there's already some, you know, there's some guy in a, in a basement somewhere who's already working on the schematics uh, for the ride. They, they don't jump into a log or something and, and ride it down a stream or something. <laughs> well, it's not a log. <laughs> it's not a log. <laughs> and if it was filmed in Oregon, it'd probably be a log. But since it wasn't, it, 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 I, it, let me put it this way: they don't jump into a log and float down a stream. I'll put it that way. Okay. Um, there are some moments in this chase sequence that, to say that they strain credulity or believability. <laughs> is the most massive understatement. I mean, there. I will put it this way. The two worst moments in the film happen almost back-to-back. -back. And again, there's things about the film I really like, but I mean, for people who want an unvarnished review, I will be honest. They're, the two worst moments in the film happen about five minutes apart, one of them involving Shia LaBeouf and the other one involving a chase sequence. And both of them were moments where Court and I both went, Come! And you're thinking, I know what's going to happen next, and you're right. And and then you think to yourself, they couldn't possibly. They could. They, <laughs> no. they they don't think so little of the audience that they would ever. And then like, and then it happens. So uh -huh. you know. Anyway, it's like one of those things where there's a board, like like there's a piece of wood on the ground, and all of a sudden Harrison Ford's flying through the air, and it becomes his skateboard, and he's skating down like the side of. Uh... Am I too close? You are oh, so. God. You are so close. No! You are no! so close. I mean. No. I mean. It, moments that are, here's the thing, Steven Spielberg is one of the most talented filmmakers ever, certainly I would say the most consistently talented and accomplished filmmaker of my generation. And he's got, he's got films all over the place. I mean, too, because he's done things like, like, um, what was that? Schindler's List. And, Schindler's List, and I mean, I'm, and I mean, action film, and, and, and you know, and Saving Private Ryan, and then you go all the way right. back to Jaws, Closing Counters, right. E.T. But there are a couple moments in this where you wonder if he was even in the room when the film was being put together. <laughs> like you say to yourself, like, did Steven Spielberg see? Like, did he release the wrong cut by mistake? Like, did he see the same movie I am now watching? Did Steven Spielberg actually greenlight? This monstrosity of a scene that I am now watching. So he picked up the wrong stack of papers someplace. I think that's really what it is. I think. <laughs> I, I think we're paying the price now. I think that maybe they had like the good cut of the film, and then they had like the reject outtakes cut of the film. The film blew all the pages on the floor, <laughs> and they just stitched them all together. Um, and I think that they took the rejected outtake version of the film, and somehow that got put in the wrong envelope, and that's the one that was sent to the theater. Can, can, can I ask you one thing? Yes, sir. Sideways of what we were talking about with that, um, uh, do they d right that they are 
Andy happens later in time. That, that so what? That he doesn't look funny being old. Yeah, um, I was kind of wondering that, too. Like, it's set in 1957, when... which, is 12, the, which is 13 years after Last Crusade. So uh, then the next films are going to be in the 70s, maybe? Can I tell you this? I read, the interview with, <laughs> I read an interview with George Lucas this morning where he said the plan is no longer a secret or a rumor. Lucas has right. now flat out said... The plan is for Shia LaBeouf to take over and that Harrison Ford will basically be to Shia as Sean Connery was to Harrison Ford. Oh, so he'll just start doing – well, because what I'm thinking is, like, perhaps they'll start shooting it ten years in the past so that they can actually, you know, there's Harrison Ford looking like he should. Yeah, no, it's, it's just – it's they do address the fact that Indiana Jones is older, and once your brain sort of adjusts to that, it's, it's not bad. But it does, it's a little bit of a culture shock. You do have to kind of readjust your thinking, so – Anyway, see it so you can say that you saw it, but uh, I would say lower your expectations. But definitely see it and not wait for the DVD. Don't wait for the DVD. See it in the theater because it's an Indiana Jones film, and, you know, yeah, it's, you know, right. you know. All right, thank you, sir. All right, there you go. It's 503-733-2970. And plus, my final thought on it for now at least, and then we'll uh, uh, take a break. We'll do more news with Tim. We'll talk to Richie. Uh, we'll do the top five, uh, Scott Daly, all of that. My final thought on it for now is that, you know, in Last Crusade, which is not a perfect film, Last Crusade had its problems. I still think Sean Connery should have stayed behind as the knight who guards the grail. Um, but, you know, once Indiana Jones comes face to face with Adolf Hitler, I mean, where do you go from there? There is there's that moment about halfway through Last Crusade where he's there literally six inches away from Adolf Hitler. It seems like you have sort of peaked at that point with villains. I mean... You know, kind of as hot as Kate Blanchett is, I mean, Soviets will just never be as compelling a villain, uh, you know, as 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 Nazis. It's just, uh, you know, it's just not going to work. So, anyway, well, the gold standard for villains, I think. I mean, they really. I mean, the, the, I mean, it's you know, it's like the end of Castle Wolfenstein. I mean, how can you possibly? I mean, this is nowhere nowhere left to nowhere left to go there, story wise. Let us take a break. We'll come back more from Tim Riley. If you're on hold, hang tight. Uh, we'll get uh, your calls as soon as we return. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, we'll do the top five musical acts that Dave Zinn wants us to interview. And uh, we'll have Scott Daly from Film Fever Radio and more news. Don't go anywhere.
the Rick Emerson radio program. The band is Weedus. The song is Teenage Dirtbag. Hear that? Yeah. But that's really pathetic. Post it there. Post it. I always thought this was him doing an artificially altered voice, but this really is a girl singing this up in the park. I always thought that as well. It's a girl. It's like some girl who lived down the street from them. How does she know who I am? And why does she give a damn about? I've got two tickets to It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Still to come, Top 5 Music Acts Dave Zinn wants us to interview. Uh, Scott Daly will be here to talk about Indiana Jones and other things of a filmic nature in mere moments. We'll have some news with Tim Riley. Let us do a couple of these telephone calls. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. How can I assist you on this glorious Workers Friday? Oh, you assist me every day with loads of entertainment. Thank you, my friend. Uh, I was going to say, on the Indiana Jones, they should probably actually do like they do with the James Bond, like the lady was at the end of the show was suggesting, serialize it with different actors, keep it in the vague, the vague same time period. Somebody sort of suggested that they, oh, they kind of keep it set in the 30s, 40s, which having seen Indiana Jones 4, and I will say again once and for all, not a terrible film, things about it I like, but the weakest of the series, that I think... Uh, Tim may have a differing opinion on this, because Tim is a big fan of sort of 50s Cold War Soviet-era stuff. For me, I feel like, you know, in the 30s and 40s, sort of fighting against Nazis and whatever, I just feel like he doesn't work as well out of that period. And so keeping him in that period with, you know, everybody say, well, what about Russell Crowe? What about whoever? I mean, I, I mean, maybe that's a hell of a lot better than making Shia LaBeouf uh, the next, you know, adventurer. Yeah, I mean, him taking jets to these far-off places and, you know, beatniks and hippies, and <laughs> it, just doesn't, it just doesn't fit with the 30s field. I mean, because it, it's, if you, I was going to say time-wise, Last Crusade would have had to be in the mid-30s, because if... If it was like 44, there's no way he would have been in Europe. Oh, I su- that's true. No, that, I guess I'm placing it too late then, that so that's the, still yeah, in the 30s. The, the book burning was still in the mid-30s. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's... that's the idea of seeing Indiana Jones... Better. The idea of sending, seeing Indiana Jones like at Haight-Ashbury in 1967 just doesn't work, you know? So I, I think they have to keep it then. But, you know, I hate to sound so cynical about it, but Lucas and Spielberg clearly have demonstrated at this point they don't know what to do and what not I to do. I mean, Saturday Night Live still has these moments of brilliance that a, a short cartoon with Obama, and Obama's talking to Jesse Jackson and uh, Al Sharpton, and he's sending them off all these fake missions to these fake countries no one ever's heard of to keep them out of the way. Right. And I think that's what I think that's what uh, Spielberg needs to work into the budget is send Lucas to do <laughs> filming here. We need you to do second unit stuff in Tunisia again. Please get out of the country. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you. All right, there you go. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, what's up, Rick? Hey, Tim, Sarah. Hello. Hey, um, you were talking about that movie um, Without a Paddle 2. Yes, sir. Well, my daughter was an extra because they had filmed it in some of it in Estacada. And so uh, now is this... And they used it. And and actually, they set the movie back. It's actually supposed to be in 1996. Is that when is, is the first movie... When is the first movie set? 
Do you know? It has nothing to do with the first movie at all. Oh, it's a sequel in name only. It's a sequel in name only. Right. Cause they, they, and they used our van, our 1997 Ford Aerostar. Excellent. In one of the parts in it, too. So it's kind of weird, but it's, it's kind of a weird, which she is all mad because she was bored out of her mind was there, standing around. Were there any actors or actresses of note in Without a Paddle 2? Actually, she said it was a bunch of kids. Like also, younger kids. All right. Well, that's you know that's what you do with a franchise so, when you can't figure out what else to do is you pack it full of the young folk. Yeah. Which right. was like because it was weird because they had something in the high school and it said go Tigers. Well, the junior high in the high school or Estacada is the Tigers, but they filmed all the stuff they had go Tigers in the high school. So it was kind of weird. But, all right, my friend. You Thank know. you. Well, you know what? It is a little bit of celluloid history for her to treasure. Yeah, exactly. All right, thank you, sir. Mm. You know, right. the pedal, right. too, is not mentioned on IMDb. That's the weird thing. It's not even listed as being in production. Mm, I wonder if this is what, actually what they're describing it to be. Without a Paddle, the original came out in 2004. It's, uh, let's see, The Thrill of Adventure, The Mistake of a Lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, it's a camping expedition for the lost D.B. Cooper bounty. And I guess Burt Reynolds is sort of the biggest thing about the fellow Seth Green's in it, apparently. And Matthew Lillard, whatever happened to that guy? Uh, speaking of Matthew Lillard... Jack Shepard's pretty funny. Can I tell you what I bought with Matthew Lillard last night? Laura and I did this great thing. We went out to dinner, which was less than satisfying. Uh, but we went to dinner at this place that didn't turn out to be very good. And then we decided, though, we went to CD Game Exchange, and we had this rule. We were going to go to CD Game Exchange and buy the worst movie we could possibly find. The rule is it couldn't be more than $5. So we bought Wing Commander with Matthew Lillard. Um, final call, then we'll do news. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir, madam, as the case may be. Hey, is this me? What's up? Hello, sir, it's you. Hey, um... My uh, wife, we're listening to uh, you guys, and uh, we're kind of wondering if maybe uh, what you saw was George Lucas's cut of Indiana Jones and basically, you know, switched out uh, with uh, Spielberg's and, you know, kind of waved his hand and said, these aren't the uh, tapes you're looking for. <laughs> this is not the print of the film you're looking for. You need yeah. more CGI. <laughs> yeah, that's, something like that. That's a really funny idea for a sketch. We're <gasps> this is a great idea for a sketch somewhere where Lucas actually has the Jedi mind trick ability, and except that it only works on the weak-minded, which is why it works on the other people uh, at, at Lucasfilm, and it maybe worked on Spielberg, but it doesn't work on us. So he said, you know, you want to see Jar Jar Binks and an alternate Ewok song at the end. And then all of us are kind of like, no, no, that's not working. You know, but meanwhile, you're right, it must work on Spielberg, who went along with all of these jackass changes to the Indiana Jones film. That makes a hell of a lot of sense, sir. Well done. Yeah. And then uh, I sent you an email a few days ago asking about uh, Richie if we're going to get a new call screener here uh, named Rochelle. I think that there may be a, a long transition happening in Richie's life, but uh, <laughs> we'll find out more. We're going to have him in the studio next hour. We'll find out more about that. Thank you, my friend. All right. Best show ever. Thank you, sir. At the Ministry of Truth, pay heed to your new God. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So I did find a blog for Without a Paddle 2, and it comes, it says, from our friends at Movie Hole. <laughs> as far as I can tell, the sequel, which is going to direct a DVD, has nothing to do with the original. So it won't uh, feature the characters played by Seth Green, Dak Shepard, Matthew Lillard. Instead, it uh, uh, focuses on a character named Zack who promises an old dying woman that will track down her long-lost granddaughter so he can uh, unite before the woman uh, fades away. And he so and two others. in love with the granddaughter. I'm yeah. tired of people named Zach. Uh, it's all the expected hijinks along the way. <laughs> really? Does it say hijinks? Mm -hmm. Excellent. Are there low jinks? Uh, apparently, the directed DVD phenomenon seems to be rolling at a pr pretty good clip. 
And uh, the writer of this is interesting in finding out how lucrative uh, this, oh, I won't say the naughty word, is for the studios. I, uh, it, my question is, though, it's strange that even for such a, seems like maybe a low-rent production, that it's not on IMDb. Everything's on, I've got a movie on IMDb. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like it's that exclusive of a, you know, whatever. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, they're filming about two minutes from a house in Eagle Fern Park. They have the entire park closed. They are setting up for a couple of weeks now. It's sad that they closed the park, and it's such a pretty day. Well, a nice day to stroll at one of my favorite Oregon parks. As long as they get art out of it, Tim. Yes, there were young actors. Uh, there is another that some of you may know, Christopher Turner. Christopher with a K. He starred in the Canadian sitcom Instant Star. Oh, I've got nothing. That's, would, that's from Talia. Would you say, Tim, that uh, that over the last however many years, would you say that film production in Oregon has increased? Would you say that it's more films are being uh, shot here than there used to be? Probably not. Would you say so film production here is flat? I would say so. Because you do hear like the Oregon Film Board, and occasionally they try to like sort of sort of spin this yarn that, that that you know that we're like the new Vancouver, that everything is sort of being shot here. Oh, they're filming in Tanya Harding's uh, hometown of Yakult, Washington. Excellent. They're doing shots in the East Fork Lewis River. Uh, let's see here. They did a little film investigated for extras on the night they filmed at Clackamas River Elementary. Well, that must have been the, the shot that this guy's daughter was in then. They changed the sign to temporarily say Palm Ridge High. They went to the high school to shoot some inside scenes. And uh, let's see here. Now, what was the thing that Jennifer Aniston was... Am I not management. confusing films that Jennifer Aniston was here to shoot something? Management? Yeah. And that was pretty recent, wasn't it? Yes. My car's in that movie. Is it? Yeah. You were just you were, just the car? You Just the car. My car is parked in front of the diner <laughs> that she is in. Well, they needed a Volvo. <laughs> they put Arizona plates on it. You can see you can see Jennifer eating with my Volvo underneath the window. Uh, that's fantastic. My car's never been in anything interesting. Thanks. So, well done, Tim. That's hey, like well, a one. Thank de- my car. Don't thank one, me. One degree. I had nothing one, to do with one it. Degree, one degree of separation. Uh, all that's right. So we know about without a paddle too. More information as it becomes available, or. You know, not. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Well, it's uh, time for us to go bounty hunting. Lakewood, Washington police are not filing charges against four bounty hunters who shot and killed a man in his car. The officers are still investigating exactly what went on here. We'll get all the statements together. We'll get the medical examiner's report, all the the evidence. And and we're looking at the possibility of some surveillance video in the area uh, if the camera's pointed the right direction. So apparently the bad guy, who later was shot, Backed his car into one of the bounty hunters' vehicles, a bad move. In their statements, they indicated that they were afraid for their safety, and two two of the recovery agents reported uh, to us that uh, that they shot at the, uh, the subject in the car. I have a question. So does that? So can anybody just be a bounty hunter? Like, do you have to go to school to get a license or something? I would imagine you'd want to take like a night course, a night, like a correspondence course. Clackamas Community College might offer it. Can you draw this? Can you draw this criminal on the inside of the matchbook? Bounty hunting in you. So, <laughs> so you want to be a bounty hunter, but I mean you have to like uh, be you know whatever. You have to like to become a cop. You have to go through official channels and go to cop school or whatever. If you're going to be a private eye, don't you have to have a license to be a private detective? I believe so. Yeah. So, but I mean, can, is a bounty hunter? Is being a bounty hunter supposed like being a soldier of fortune? They what? have Bounty Hunter University. Is that a, is that also a movie also with Matthew Lillard? The premier bounty hunter school and training center. Online bo- bounty hunting. Really? Really? Uh, you can learn online here. Let me see what I'm totally going to learn online how to become a bounty hunter just so I can add it to my resume like Greedo style. Uh, due to the increasing importance of the bounty hunt, 
the bounty hunting industry, we decided to expose the confidential nature of the most important new skip tracing tool. Now, I here's okay. Here's another question about this. So, since we're talking about bounty hunters, um, so a can anybody just call themselves a bounty hunter? B well, I guess B is the same as A. Do you need a license? See, getting started and becoming a bounty hunter. Here's the other thing. When they say a bounty hunter, if you break that phrase down, it really means that you are hunting someone on whom there is a bounty. In other words, somebody with a price on their head. But, I mean, is that really the case? Are, are there really bounties on people? Like, is that yes. a thing where the people are really like, there's a, I mean, there's a bounty on Osama bin Laden, but, I mean, other than him... Like it was just some guy who doesn't show up for court. Is there a bounty on that guy? I would imagine so. Or do you get paid a flat fee by the state or by some sort of governmental agency for finding a guy that's supposed to show up for his traffic ticket and decided to run the, you know, decided to run the Belize instead? Maybe this is uh... like dog the bounty hunter. Maybe yeah, you have a hairy chest and lots of uh, bling around your neck. I guess those are the first steps. Maybe these are people calling about bounty hunters. Hello, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick, it's yep. Mike, the ba- Mike, your bail bondsman. So are you a bail bondsman or a bounty hunter or both? Both. All right, so now, how does one, does one have to have a license or, can you just say you're a bounty hunter? Not anymore. So was there a time when you could do, was there a Wild West period when that was a thing you could do? Up until the first of last year. All right. Oh, really? So I've, so the, so the, the window. The golden age of bounty hunters. <laughs> <laughs> the window has closed for me then. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you have to do? What do you have to study now to become a bounty hunter, and what test must you pass? You have to be state certified as far as uh, firearms, taser, baton, handcuffing, pepper spray, field activities. Uh, so it's basically sort of a, you need to have weapons training. Well, yes. All right. And so when they say that you are a bounty hunter, as I said, that, that implies that somebody has a bounty on their head. Is that true? Like, if you go and you nab some guy who didn't show up to court, like, does somebody pay you for that? Okay. Oregon is a no-bond state. In other words, there are no such thing as a bail bond through private industry in the state of Oregon. Same with uh, two or three other states in the union. All the others are what are called bail bond states. Now, when you are arrested, you're taken into custody, you're booked, and a bail is set for you. You, at that point, contact your uh, your bail bondsman. The bail bondsman makes arrangements to write your bail. Right. And, and this is where the thing, like, where you swindle your mom into putting up her house or something. Very much so. Right. Like a payday loan. Exactly. It's exactly like that, Tim. Well, let's say you've got a freedom loan. You've got a hundred. Say you've got a ten thousand dollar bail. You got to put up what, like a percentage of it. You're going to put up ten or one thousand dollars. That is non-refundable. Right. That is the fee for obtaining your release. Once your fee hits the street, that money is earned. And so then, like, if I just never show up to court, that's when they get the guy to come looking for me. When you don't show up for court, the court notifies the bail bond company of the forfeiture. At which point the bail bond company has one of two choices: either have uh, ten thousand dollars or the defendant in front of the judge within sixty days. And so, if the guy, the guy who comes and finds me and drags me into court, the skip trace or whatever, who that pays would him? Be me. So who? The bail bond company. Okay, so the bail bond company then pays you. All right, excellent. Thank you, my friend. Any other wonderful questions? Nah, I think we're, we're How good. long does it take to complete the whole? Oh, that's a good question. The whole course. How if I started one. like Monday, when or you know Tuesday, when could I become a, a bounty hunter, bail bondsman, the oh, skip tracing guy? You have to take your first. You have to get all of your certifications. Then you have to pass a test with the state, 
and go through all your background checks, at which point you uh, reach in your pocket. And I think it's about, it's probably up close to 600 bucks now. All right, let me ask you the final question, and please answer honestly. When you go to work in the morning, uh, do you ever in your head imagine that there is a theme song playing as you open the door to your office? Not since I grew up. All right, thank you. <laughs> you don't need a fedora. Thanks so much. Or have some dame sitting in an office. I think you do need a bottle of scotch, though, Tim, so you can drink your breakfast while sleeping it off from the night before after giving a guy a little chin music when she walked in. Or you somebody know, playing a saxophone whatever. in a dark hole. You know what my... Can I tell you? Let me see if I can find it here. You know what my, uh, what my theme song would be here. Hold on. Uh, go ahead. Well, let's go ahead and go into... We'll do, uh, like, two more here, and I'll, I'll, find my, I'll find my theme if I were a private detective. Well, Val Thomas's doctors honestly can't explain why she's still alive. Uh, the West Virginia woman is being called a medical miracle after she suffered two heart attacks and had no brain waves for more than 17 hours. Her heart stopped around 1.30 a.m. Saturday, and doctors say she had no pulse. Rita Morton started to sit in, and she was placed in a respiratory machine. Her skin already started to harden, and her fingers uh. curled up. Death had set in. Jesus. When she wow. was rushed to West Virginia Hospital, where she was put on a special machine... To her skin had started to harden? Well, this is West Virginia. Oh. Uh, this will allow her body to cool down for 24 hours before they'd warm her up again. Uh, the hot, the heart stopped again. Her family said goodbye, and Thompson's tubes were removed, and she remained hooked to a ventilator at the possibility of organ donation. Uh, meanwhile, she woke up 10 minutes later and started talking. The nurse said, I am sorry, Mrs. Thompson. You're dead. That's okay, honey. It's okay. She was transferred to the Cleveland Clinic, so specialists could check her out, but doctors said there's nothing wrong with her. She's just from West Virginia. <laughs> Fantastic. I can't find my... Um, I'm trying to find my private detective theme here. Hold on. Here we go. Um, let's see. Oh, I th here we go. I've got uh, I've got two of them, actually. Let's do this. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. How can I help you today? Hey, Rick. Uh, real quick, John Favreau's best role besides Swingers was in The Replacements. He was the best part of that movie. Do you remember that? Is The Replacements the Denzel Washington thing? No, it's uh, Gene Hackman, Keanu Reeves. Oh, right, right. I know the movie, but I didn't see it. Uh, he, he's really funny. He plays an intense cop that shows up for uh, training camp, and he's just crazy. Fantastic. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to say was uh, I've been driving around Vancouver for work today, and I noticed a couple of things that were funny. One thing is Vancouver Ford's holding this sail in the sky where they're hanging the manager of the place 100 feet from the ground until there's 100 cars sold. We love that as a proud tradition in retail, sir. That not, is not, nice. not really hanging him by the neck. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, hanging him Vince Vaughn I, I style. Think that might be too late. Yeah, right. <laughs> Unless he's in West Virginia. Exactly. Um, and the, one other thing we actually, one second, actually, we did, we did that when we were at Fisher, Trey Yant, who was our general sales manager, did that at one point, actually. Oh, I remember that. I think where he had to sleep, like, in, in, like, some sort of an SUV that was hanging from a crane for, like, three days while people bought radio advertising. What was the other thing, sir? Uh, I was driving by the Ark of Vancouver. Yes, sir. And they had a sign on it, on, out front of their business there that says, uh, helping people to succeed, and succeed is spelled with one C. <laughs> so, Thank you, you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Sarah, do you have, um... Do you have uh, like if I was a detective, what my if you were would be? if you were to be a detective, what would your theme song be? Sarah X Dillon, Private Eye. What is this? This is the this is the music from Agent Cooper's uh, Dream. Oh. This I this totally works. This is way better than mine. Yeah, I like to hear some high heels on what pavement. I can totally see that. 
I'm trying to think of the whole, um, and this would be the thing where he's going, he's hanging at the joint where he eats. I was over at Mama's where the soup is hot and where the waiter is cold or something. You know, it'd be one of those, it'd be one of those, uh, one of those, uh, you know, when, and, and he would always use, here's the other thing about a guy like that. He always refers to something with uh, like a name that it's not. In other words, he'd say, when I notice that somebody dropped something by my mailbox, and the mailbox would be like a trash can or something next to the table where people leave notes for him. Yeah. See somebody throw a cigarette butt right underneath it. Exactly. Yeah, you betcha. And then she'd say, hey, honey, do you got a date? And he'd say, I only got two dates. I got the date I was born and the day I'm going to die. And oh, I don't choose either of those. Awesome. Yeah, I just yeah. freestyled that you right now. Freestyled that? That's right, bitches. Wow. Now you need to make a movie to wrap around it. <laughs> just a DVD. To use that line. Yeah. We all got tube dates, baby. Everything in between, between is just killing time. I cannot believe that you just came up with that. that I just made that up. Movie. I just made that. I don't think I've stolen that from anywhere. If I, if I have, I apologize. I got to write that down. All right. Uh, well, my... I had a joke one uh, queued up, but I'll play the actual real one. So here, if I were a private eye, uh, this would be the theme I would use. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> Sorry. Good job. <laughs> Sorry. See if I can... Um... With 30 apart, at least I wouldn't die broke. Here we go. Now, this is, the, this is not the best version of this song, because this one's all 80s sounding. But it's Harlem Nocturne by the Viscounts. I wish I could find a, a version that wasn't so well. Uh, let's see if I got one. Uh, do I have one by, um, uh, let's see here. Um, let me look really quickly here. And There's that sound that everybody makes when they're looking for something. Why do people do that? Uh, let's, I'm going to look very quickly here and see if I can find. Oh, here we go. Let's uh, see if I've got this one. Where's my uh, Les Brown... Big band masters. All right, this one, this may be the actual version that I'm looking for. But yours, yours is fantastic. Your Twin Peaks one, because I love all the instrumental music from Twin Peaks. Oh, that's and I think Louis Prima did a version of this at one point. But uh, let's see if I can get this one to. uh, Is it it waiting? Yeah, no, it's buffering right here. Listen to this here. One of my uh, one of my favorite things about my camera were the hammerettes. Yeah. Uh, The girls with cleavage, as, as Jay Bernstein used to. As used to say, uh, and it was part of the genre. It's part of the genre of not only a film noir, but I think of Mike Hammer's world. Can you tell me the difference between a floppy disk and a hard drive? <coughs> a couple of drinks. The style of the genre of film noir. There was a certain pattern that went on between men and women. Would you like to see which one I'm not going to win? So that's my camera. So here's... This is my song. So this would be me, and I'm walking the city streets with my, like, fedora and my overcoat. You know, and I've got the wet cigarette because I'm walking in the rain mm-hmm. uh, because my heap is busted I'm just totally down. i like, Sin City style. Yeah. My, my jalopy ain't running, so I'm walking down the street to Mama's to get a cup of, you know, to get a cup of Joe. Yeah, so this is a song called Harlem Nocturne, uh, which is really one of the best things ever recorded. All right, there you go. Fantastic. See, and this is the terrible 80s version. Boy, this is a great show, though. Mike Hammer, the the, uh, the NBC detective series, Mike he Hammer. ruined his career with that cocaine, that cocaine arrest. That the, was the, the devil's dandruff, Tim. Wow. 
Yeah, so so Stacy Keach played Mike Hammer in the 1980s hourly detective drama. You totally nailed it too that he he and you know the thing he is, had it made it was it was it was the role of a lifetime yeah. and he blew it. I mean he he blew it with blow, Tim. Yep. Uh, and you know the thing is that it wouldn't even be a big deal now probably if he got busted with coke. I mean you know obviously it's not good, but I mean it wouldn't be a career killer. In the 80s though, it was still taboo enough. And you're right. It was the it was the role uh, you you wait your whole life for that role. Mm -hmm. Cast as the legendary Mike Hammer, which he's the he is the er detective. He is the, he is the definitive, the original noir detective. And Stacy Keach gets this role where he plays Mike Hammer, and it was he was I mean it was iconic instantly. And then he got busted with cocaine, and his career never recovered ever. The only thing he really did after that that was notable is he played. Cameron, the creepy neo-Nazi guy in American History X. If you watch American History X, he's the older sort of, you know, guy that that Ed Norton is originally hooked up with, who he then turns on. That's Stacy Keach. But you're right. I mean, it was such a great show, such a great role, you know. And it's you hear about those guys. I mean, it's, you hear the, I'm not passing judgment, but those guys that just they blow it because they get the, hooked on, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Oh well. All right. KCMD Portland. So should we just? Go on through. This was the one I imagined for Mike the Bale Monsman, by the way, when he walked into the. Uh... Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Richie Bristol, joining us from a studio down the hall. Tim Riley returns later on uh, with more news. We'll also do the top five. Dave Zinn, if you can um, hear the sound of my voice, will you join us here in the studio as soon as you're able? We'll Everyone do your top five. Studio. Everybody to the studio now. Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you today? Good. All right, so we have a question to ask you. All right. And that question is about uh, space and about people buying other people. We need to know about the space. We're, we're kind of confused. So if you go on MySpace, and this started happening on my blog a few weeks ago, and it started happening on Sarah's blog, and I said that you have it too, where people are saying, hey, I have just bought you as a pet on MySpace for like $700. Right. Please do explain. What does that yeah, mean? What does that mean? Well, there's a new... Uh thing you can do on MySpace. Basically, you buy each other up, and you make profit off of each other, so the more you're traded, like, Rick right now is worth uh, costing 18 grand. You are. But I don't understand. What does, what does this mean? mean? Well, what, do you, so what do you do? So you downloaded this application. You see, hey, buy your friends as pets. What's the first, like, what Okay, what you get, for signing on, you get, like, $2,000, and then every day you sign on, you get another $1,000 for every day you do, and then if every friend you tell, you get $250, but that's kind of like spam. But you also so let's say you start out with three grand, and you go find uh, you know Scotty Fever, and you buy him for six hundred dollars where he starts out. You buy him, and you own him. You get to make your comment, put a comment up, whatever yes. you, whatever you want. So there's some bad comments up there, and then when people see that, they go, oh wait, I better change it. You know, like the Pimp Squad's worth nine grand right now just because of the comments I make with the Pimp Squad, like. I say. So what is the what ultimate, is like, what does this get you? It's like, what is the ultimate point of this? I say, knowing that many things on the net have no point. But well, what I'm realizing is just because of the comments you make on some people. Like, you can make a comment, like, uh, with the Pimp Squad, I say, I buy girls up, and we say, now you're our, now you're the Pimp Squad's bitch. And then, uh... <laughs> I am never helping you with your MySpace profile. I'm sorry. <laughs> we no. We, and you're not dating Heather after all, Richie. <laughs> Jesus. But then they, you know, their boyfriends see it, and they buy them back, and it's... Like, right now, Scotty J is buying everything up. I don't think he works right now. <laughs> Scotty J. Because I'm worn with him. He owns everything. And so I keep right now, Scotty back. J is buying everything on 
Yeah, he just bought uh, the Rick Emerson show for eight grand, and it says the Family J Enterprises. That's who it is. But so it's like good, a way to good to see uh, that his days are all full. like smack talk. Yeah, but see, some commodities like I bought one of my friends that was being traded a lot, and I spent everything I had, thirteen grand, and it sat there for five days. Nobody bought her up, and I changed her comment to she's. Buy me, please. I'm so <laughs> wait. So and so somebody's value goes up based on how many people comment on them. Yeah, and you get like two and a half percent every time you're sold and traded. You get two and a half percent. Your so value like, increases. Yeah, you have eighteen grand right now. So and this you don't is even play. so okay. So this is sort of like yeah, I'm being bought and sold without my knowledge. So this is sort of like one of those. Uh, okay, there's fantasy football, but there's this thing they do online called the Hollywood Stock Exchange. Which is the Hollywood Stock Exchange, I think it's HSX.com. And the deal is, it's like fantasy football, but it's with Hollywood. And you can buy stock in movies, actors, studios, and then as in real life, studios, actors, movies succeed or not, your stock goes up or down or whatever. Uh -huh. So it's like a virtual, it's like a fake stock market, but you do it with studios and films and movies and actors. Right. And so this is sort of like that, but with MySpace members. Right. And so like, I, I think, look, I'll say this. I admire the guy who came up with this because clearly whoever came up with this idea, he's got to be making money on this somehow. There's got to be some back end for him. You know, where, you, know the, you know what this is? This is a MySpace application that some guy dreamt up hoping that it will become popular enough that MySpace themselves will buy it from him. Mm -hmm. That's got to be what this is, right? Probably. Well, it's, it's embedded every, in there. So those things aren't spam because every time someone's like, I just bought you. But it looks I like delete, spam. I just delete it exactly. every time. That's, and I think I've Seamus never clicked a, on it because I'm afraid it's going like, to affect my computer. I've never even looked at them. And Seamus at one point was instructing me on how to change my MySpace so that people can't post those anymore because it looked like spam. Well, that's so. your fans uh, buying and selling and trading you and stuff. Mm, but some of the right. comments, you know, they could say whatever they want. Everybody else gets to see. When they go to look at Rick Emerson, they can say what they want. And that's one. Well, it's just another way for like, um, like gutless people who have nothing better to do to just sit there and insult other people by purchasing with fake money on the internet. That is the lamest thing I have ever heard. Well, uh, I mean, I have I'm Scotty J. I'm not meaning to talk He's down to you. He's buying everybody, so I'm buying everybody that owns Scotty J. <laughs> it's good to see that Scotty's J's are Scotty Scotty J's days are very full. Well, yeah. I have a goal. I'm I'm trying to get ninety five thousand dollars together so I could buy Storm Large. <laughs> it's good to dream, Richie. Thank you so much, Richie right. Bristol, ladies and gentlemen. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show our good friend Dave Zinn. Hello, Dave Zinn. Good afternoon. How yeah, are Richie you? Richie keeps alluding to the fact that people are saying some pretty terrible stuff about us when they buy us. Whatever, friend. Yeah, I'm never going to see it, so. You know what? Knock yourselves out. All right, Dave. Hello. How Hi, are you, Dave sir? Ben? I'm good. But, right. uh, nobody's bought me recently, unfortunately. Uh, now, you have a you have a Space profile. Has no one purchased you? I uh, just, I think somebody sent me an email and... I thought it was kind of dumb. Do you, are you, do you get alerted when someone has purchased you? If someone's bought you on MySpace, do you get like a thing telling you that, that's like a message? That's what those messages, like, I just bought you. Oh, really? Oh, so that's the, that's the little flash you get when someone has purchased you? Mean, there's you? Like, a, like a piggy bank or like flashing dollar bills. Yeah, I, I just realized that they're... I'm not trying to be mean. It's just like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's the thing. Like, I'm not... I'm, you know what it is? I think it might be, and I'm not trying to be snarky about it, because I know there's a bunch of people on, on my uh, MySpace who, who do this. Um, so whatever. I mean, I'm really not. I mean, I'm no one to I'm no one to, to criticize. I mean, I guess it's no. I guess it's sort of like a weird. I guess it's like fantasy football, but for like for like uh, you know people who aren't into fantasy football or people who aren't into like the Hollywood Stock Exchange. I think it is. It's like a fantasy football league for for MySpace nerds. I mean, I guess that that's the that's the gist of it. I think. 
And I think it's another way to flirt or smack talk your buddy. That's probably that that's probably it's another thing. It's another way for Richie to to like get the attention of some girl. Like I like you so much, I paid nine thousand virtual dollars for you. That's true. Okay, yeah, because he does use the internet as a dating tool. Yes, he does. To to no effect, by the way. All right, shall we do the top five? Dave's in. Sure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's your top five. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. Wonderful counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting. I'm sorry, speaking of Seamus, Seamus sent me an email. He says, Rick, about MySpace pets. The point of MySpace pets is that it convinces a bunch of idiots into spamming their friends, and the only person who profits is the guy who wrote the MySpace application that does it. MySpace application writers like this have been in a bit of hot water for writing things like this, which spam everyone. And then he signs it in all caps. People who use this crap should be kicked in the face. Thank you, Seamus. I'm glad you've said it, because now I feel like it's okay for me to say it more loudly. Well done. All right. Uh, Tim Riley is preparing news for the bottom of the hour, so I will handle the Tim Riley portion of this. What kind of a program would we be if we didn't occasionally try to fulfill the dreams and aspirations of other people? It's worth noting that CBS Radio Portland is a big company with lots of fellow esteemed co-workers. One of them is Dave Zinn, the gatekeeper. Join us now as we count down these, the top five musical acts Dave Zinn would like the Rick Emerson Show to interview. Dave Zinn? Yes, uh, you came to me yesterday and uh, asked me about this and uh, made some selections. And uh, So these are not necessarily your five favorite bands. These are the five favorite acts that you'd like us to have on the show for an interview for whatever reason. Most of them are among my favorites, but uh, yes, I was right. specifically thinking of your question and uh, how the interview would go and all, right. all the things you could talk Dave about. Then. Go ahead and count them down, Dave, and I will play them. All right, number five, White Lion. Mike Tramp's White Lion. Tramp's White Lion. Yes. Yes. Um, one of my favorite bands from the uh, 80s were from the same period, you know, late 80s when pop metal ruled. And this is the second single they released on their major label debut, Pride. Was the uh, Tell Me. Was this the follow-up to Wait? Follow-up to Wait and before When the Children Cry. Anyway, um, I never knew what happened to White Lion uh, after 1991. They kind of fell off the scene. They did. Well, they had, they did Wait, they did this, then When the Children Cry, then Little Fighter, then Radar Love. Yes. That, that is correct. And they, then, But after that, they just sort of, you're right, they went nowhere. Yeah, they uh, released their fourth album, Main Attraction, and then they all just disbanded. That was and, Main uh, Attraction, M-A-N-E, by the way, because yeah. they're White Lion. And, oh, I uh, get it now. And I was Wikipediaing them, and I found out that they played a small cameo role in the movie The Money Pit. Is that with Tom Hanks? With Tom Hanks and Shelley Long? And they had a fictitious female member Shelley in the band. Long. So, are they still touring? Are they doing solo projects? Do you know? Well, because they might be gettable at this point. Well, the reason I liked White Line was because the guitar player Vito Brada, he apparently has some bad blood with the lead singer Mike Tramp, who's from Denmark and uh, still to this day performs White Line songs. Right. And um, last year there were plans for him to open up. I guess it's White Lion for a Rat and Poison tour. Right. And the guitar player nixed that 
you know, through legal Feuding. disputes. All right. So I thought it'd be good to interview Mike Tramp and maybe get to the bottom of the white lion hate for each other. We'll, uh, we'll pass these along to Dave Zinn or to uh, Richie Bristol when we're done. We'll try to get Mike Tramp on the program. These are the top five musical acts Dave Zinn wishes for us to interview on the show. Number four, Oasis. The Gallagher oh. Brothers. Oasis coming to Seattle August 28th, are they not? Uh, August 26th. August 26th? Yep. Now, what's the deal with their drummer? Because Zach Starkey just left the band. I know. They're uh, about to release a new album in September, and they need to find a touring drummer. they got a little Canadian tour and a festival to play in late August, so... I thought it'd be good to interview the Gallagher Brothers, because they're, uh... Because they're great. They're great. Uh, they have funny accents. Um, you never know what kind of mood they're going to be in. The interesting thing with the uh, with with Oasis is, every time they tour America, they always claim it's the last time they're ever going to tour America. The last time they were here, they were at the Schnitzer, and afterward it was like we're never going to America again. Sought it, you know. They were just there, and I know I'm doing a terrible rejection, but they were, they, they were like said they were never coming back. Yeah, I don't think they'll ever come back to Portland because they couldn't sell out the Schnitzer. Right. But overseas, they can sell like hundred thousand seat stadiums. Oh, they were. I mean, you've seen Live Forever, have you not? Oh yes. Yeah, the rise and fall of Britpop. Just a great documentary. I'm a big Oasis fan. I really am. I saw these guys You're in. You're a huge Oasis fan. Yeah, and I mean, like a lot of people, you know, I, I prefer the earlier stuff, the sort of classic albums. But I mean, even now, they have their moments. They have their singles that are really good. Um, I saw them in Seattle. Actually, one of the very first shows my wife and I ever saw together. Uh, we went to see them in Seattle. Uh, when I think Don Sloan was at that show, too, from upstairs. Well, you weren't there, were you? No. The show in Seattle where they played Help? No, I was uh, living in Florida. I saw oh. them in Orlando. That well, that tour. was a great tour. It was so good. They opened with Be Here Now, which is just a, and Noel Gallagher played Help, single acoustic guitar, just him sitting in the middle of the stage. Yep. I, this, what a great song this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. this was Live Forever, the... Uh, I guess it was the third single officially from their debut album. Man. God, what a record. And it's about Kurt Cobain, and among other things, I think. It's, just, it's a brilliant song. It really is. All right. These are the top five musical acts Dave Zinn wishes for us to interview here on The Rick Emerson Show. Number three, Courtney Love. Yeah. Formerly of Hole. And this song's called Miss World. This is kind of the uh, I song. sing this karaoke. I love this song. Yeah, it's a good song. And uh, Courtney Love is just one of those uh, people you want to just... You never know how they're going to react in an interview situation, so... Then have, you, have you seen what she looks like lately? I saw your picture on SirXDylan.com. Is it bad? Have you seen her? I mean, I know it's probably Here bad. It's no, uh, The it's Dark Knight. It's worse than you could ever imagine. Wow. <laughs> it's wow. The Dark Knight. Wow, I guess we know what happened to baby Jane. <laughs> Sorry. Channeling uh, cattiness there for a moment. That doesn't even look like her. That looks like a clown version of herself. <laughs> it's like yeah. a tranny clown Big clown version. mouth is yeah. what she's got there. No, that, she's, she the, messed with her face too much. That's right. No, you totally nailed it. She looks like a strung out transvestite version of herself. Like the world's most low-rent cross-dresser. Stay away from plastic surgery. Anyone that might be considering it. Just look at that picture on Sarah X. You know, I know it's not popular to say this, but you know what song I really loved? was that Celebrity Skin song. Oh, yeah. That, is that the name of the track? That, da na 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 Yeah, that's that, the name of the second album, yeah. Celebrity Skin. It's I dig really that song. Good. I dig that song. Well done, Billy Corgan. Yeah, I think Kurt Cobain wrote the first album and Billy Corgan wrote the second album. So they're both really good. But Now, she doesn't live in, in Portland, though, anymore, right? Oh, no. She, she hasn't lived here for a long time. Hollywood. Yeah. 
What is she doing right now? Just kind of sitting around? She's doing a whole lot of nothing? She's recording a follow-up solo album. You lie. Really? She's been recording with Linda Perry. Of course. Linda Perry, who records with everyone on Earth. And, Good uh, for her. Yeah, it should be coming out later this fall. All right. These are the top five musical acts Dave Zinn wants us to interview. Number two. Number two, Danzig. Danzig. Danzig is one of those bands when I started getting into music. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed this album. It came out in 1988, self-titled debut, Danzig. And uh, just really good musicianship. And, you know, I was at the age where you can be influenced by the devil rockers or whatever. Here's the thing about Danzig. I'm going to interrupt. People that hear Danzig and they think that he's like a metal guy or that he's like Slayer or whatever, you know, because the image and the, and the name. Yeah. Danzig is really just kind of a cool, stripped down sort of evil rock and roll. Yeah. Sound. I mean, you know, like this and Dirty Black Summer and. Heavily influenced by Roy Orbison and Elvis Presley. Yeah. So. I mean, it really is just sort of an updated, an updated, very stripped down 50s rock and roll sound of a lot of Yeah, ways. yeah, very stripped down. Kind of has like a cult thing going on. Or the yeah. cult have a Danzig thing going on, one of the two. Yeah, they kind of came out around the same time in the late 80s. But Danzig's a character. He's like a real short, muscular man. I think he's 50 now. And uh, still be a good ass, interview. Though. Be a good interview. Oh, yeah. There's a clip of him getting knocked out on the internet. I've seen that. Surfaced a couple years ago. Have you anyway. seen that clip of him talking about showing his book collection? Uh, yes, I own that DVD. Yeah, yeah, or the VHS actually. Have you seen that? Uh, do you have you seen that dancing video with the guy and his penis and the nails? Uh, no, I haven't oh, seen that one. Me either. Maybe Richie has. I got it at home. You want to see it? Okay. These are the top five musical acts that Dave Zinn wants us to interview on the Rick Emerson Show. Number, Number one. one. Yeah. <laughs> Everclear, baby. I don't think Art Alexakis has ever made it onto the Rick Emerson show, has he? Well, I love Dave Zinn so much. He's been in the building a few times on our sister station, but no, uh, no love for the Rick Emerson show. Strangely, he's never been on court in Fatboy either. Maybe we could call it a truce, you know? Two of the biggest names in Portland, Rick Emerson, Entertainer of the Year, Art Alexakis, hometown rock star. He's got a new album to promote called The Vegas Years. Does he really? Featuring cover versions. A new baby to feed. Yep, new diapers to buy. Oh, an actual baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you make me laugh. Bing. Bing. Um, all kidding aside, and I will say this sincerely, he's written a lot of songs I really like. No, and father, I, we've discussed a great, like, father of mine. Beautiful song. And I know that it's easy to sort of say that his songs all kind of have a same, a similar vibe. But you know what? You, if you find something you can do well, do it, until, do, it, do it until you're dead. Do it as long as they pay you. And he did write the song AM Radio, which I really do love. He wears a Blazers jersey in that video. Have you ever seen it? I have, actually. Okay. Yeah. And I don't just like that song because it's about AM radio. I think it's a great pop song, too. And this is, you know, one that I can't ever diss Everclear too hard because my wife... To this day, my wife is a really, really big Everclear fan, so what are you going to do? He's a rock star and I'm not. And when, if you ever go see Everclear play or him play solo, he'll do all the hits. Don't and think he's playing new music. That's yet. the other thing, and I have to give it up to Tarn Alexakis, actually, because I saw him, um, I saw him at uh, a tribute to the a benefit for the West Memphis Three a couple years ago that I was, um, I was hosting, and... He came out to play, and it wasn't anybody else. It was just him and an acoustic guitar. 
And I, I got to give it up to him, A, for coming out and playing for the West Memphis Three. And he, as you're right, he didn't, you know, he played all the stuff people wanted to hear. He did like 25 minutes, a couple new songs, a lot of hits, you know, like a couple covers. And he seemed to be a pretty, a pretty cool guy. So what can you do? With my big black and he only stalked Sarah and I that once. Thank you, Dave Zinn. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks for having me on. Everybody, have a great Memorial Day weekend. Be safe and drive careful. Thank you, my friend Dave Zinn, ladies and gentlemen. Back after this with Tim Riley. Uh, Movie news from Scott Daly, Like Is It 3, and so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Everson Radio Program. Yeah. Why, hello. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming by. Coming up at 3, Tom Likas, Michael Maris Show at 7. In just a moment, we'll be joined by Scott Daly from FilmPeopleRadio.com. This, however, is Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So Hillary Clinton is interviewed by the Argus leader. This is from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And she raises the assassination issue and defends her long-running campaign. So this one's a little long, so I'm going to play the whole thing. It's so like a minute or something. Yeah, yeah, so here we go. Oh, we put it up here? Can you hear anything? Is it... Uh... Okay, here, let me... I find it curious because it is... It is unprecedented in history. I don't understand it. And... You know, between my opponent and his camp and some in the media, uh, there has been this urgency to end this. And, you know, historically that makes no sense. Um, So I I find it a bit of a mystery. You don't buy the party unity argument? I don't, because, again, I've been around long enough. Uh, You know, my husband did not wrap up the nomination in 1992 until he won the California primary um, somewhere in the middle of June, June, right? We all remember Bobby Kennedy was assassinated in June in California. Well, that's awkward. Uh, you know, I just I don't understand it. And, you know, there's lots of speculation about why it is, but... Uh, What's your speculation? I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I find it curious, and I don't want to uh, attribute <laughs> motives or uh, <laughs> strategies to people, because I don't really know. I don't understand why that would even come up. Well, that's my thing. Is it's, it's like it's, it's, it's it had relevant. nothing to do with anything else that she was talking about. At the uh, see, that's the thing about it is like it's not. How do I put this? It, it, like if you took if you took her statement about RFK out of that and just looked at it under a microscope, the statement itself doesn't look so bad. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but that it, that's exactly what Sarah said. Why would she? But why would you even mention it? It's the fact that she mentions it as they say, apropos of nothing. Like, there's no reason for it to be brought up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's kind of what makes it seem sort of creepy and weird. And far be it for me to ascribe motives to Hillary Clinton, but it just seems it just seems like to come out of nowhere for no reason. Uh, and it does it does seem to be the second or third time that the Clintons have made sort of awkward comments uh, about Barack Obama or about. I mean, the Clinton said that uh, Bill Clinton said that weird thing about black voters when he was in I think South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, anyway. Well, there you go. So you'll, that, that's a little treat of what you'll be seeing for the next two days on the news. Well, gas prices have driven a farmer and his sons to hitch a tractor and buy themselves a pair of mules to gather hay in their fields. Uh, T.R. Raymond bought Dolly and Molly at the Dixon County Mule Fair. Uh, son Danny trained them as well as you can train a mule or a pair of them. 
can also modify the tractor so the mules can pull it. Now, the mules are slower than that old petroleum-powered tractor, but there are benefits. The fuel's so high, we can't afford it. We can feed the mules cheaper than we can buy fuel. Do we have some appropriate music for this? Do we have, uh, do we have hillbilly music there, Sarah? Um, I can't think of anything. Well, I wish I did. Because more and more people are going to start using mules. Here we go, Tim. Well, high gas prices have driven a county farmer and his sons to hitch a tractor rake to pull a pair of mules to gather hay in their fields. T.R. Raymond bought Dolly and Molly at the Dixon Mule Fair. Son Danny Raymond trained those mules, well, as best as mules can be trained, I guess, and also <laughs> modified the tractor so the mules could pull it. Well, T.R. said the mules are slower than that petroleum-filled tractor, but there are benefits. Yes, sir, the fuel's so high, I just can't afford it. Well, we can feed these mules cheaper than we can buy fuel, and that's a God's honest truth. Now, Danny Raymond says he just likes using the mules around the farm. Yeah, we've been using them quite a bit, said he. Brother Raymond chirps in. Yep, mules is the way of the future. (laughs) (laughs) Pepperidge Farm remembers. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from FilmFeverRadio.com. Scott Daly. Hello, sir. Hello. I know it's hard to top the mule story. I was just going to say, after all that genius, not only the mule story, but Tim Riley reading it and the music playing in the background, I got, I got nothing. Did you realize I pay a mortgage doing stuff like that? <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that must really hurt the average person to, to know that fact. I'm sitting here reading stories about mules. <laughs> going home to tennis. <laughs> Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at four, five, six, and seven. I have the best job in the world. (laughs) Yes, you do. Top of the hour, all the way through, like is Tim Riley. Excellent. Uh, Because you know, wow, feeding them tractors is expensive. Mules is the way of the future. (laughs) Everybody, that's right. All right, Indiana Jones. Go. All right. I liked Indiana Jones. All right. I had have, I have a lot of fun with it. It yeah. wasn't a great movie. It wasn't. There's, there it no, comes. There were no iconic moments in the film. There's say no this. Border. Say it's a summer popcorn film. I and so if you just go that. in. Yeah. Go ahead. I will not say it's a summer popcorn film. I will say it's a fun summer movie. Um, I did feel Lucas's grubby little paws all over this thing every so often. Um, but, you know, I it was. First of all, it took me about an hour to get over the fact that I'm actually watching a new Indiana Jones film on the screen. And that he's like 65 or whatever. You know what? That didn't bother me. It really didn't. Um, it's, it's, it was just like, yeah, okay, he's back. I, like, I really liked how they counted for 20 years of his life. You know, the 19 years since Last Crusade, between now it's exactly 19 years in our time and in the film's time. So I like how they kind of reviewed what he's done in the last 20 years, uh, the accomplishments he's made, what he's done with his life. Um, I did not appreciate the disrespect to Marcus Brody. Oh, yeah, again, who, A, who uh, in Last Crusade, they make him look like a tool, and then in this movie, there's a, there's like a crotch joke involving, no. involving Marcus, it's, it's who was already, Marcus, you know, so he's still, so he's in it again? Well, because, well, because he, Denim Elliott has died, the actor has died, oh. and so they made him look like a clown in Last Crusade, then the actor, Denim Elliott, died, and so not only did he go out looking like a tool in the last film, but there's like a there's like a, a Lucas, how my balls joke a involving yuck, him. Yuck, Lucas joke for And by him. the way, can I say this? Yeah. There are several several ow my balls <laughs> jokes in this. There's a sequence where there's like five ow my balls things in the space of about 30 seconds because it's like repetition is is comedy. 
And it's like Shia LaBeouf in like a whole Out My Balls thing that just goes on and on and on. And so... Let's talk about Shia LaBeouf for a few minutes. Let's, right? Can we forever? Yes, we can. Let's. Uh, when he first pulled up on his, on, his, on his hog with his leather jacket, you know, like Marlon Brando straight out of the wild one. With the one. tilted cap? Yeah, you know, I was thinking, oh, God, here we go. But you know what? I really enjoyed him in this film. I would actually pay money to see a Mutt Williams adventure. I'm serious. Whatever. I really would. I really would, which is where I think they're going. Cause there's the well, obvious, you'll have your chance. There's the obvious handoff. You've got, you know, his motorcycle. Uh, you've got you've got the, the sword instead of the whip. You know, you got oh, the that's the other thing. Jacket, yeah, he's got the brown jacket. A, yeah, he doesn't use the whip. That's the thing about Mutt Williams because he's quick with a blade. Right. Because he's a because he's a juvenile delinquent and he's, he's edgy. A greaser. Yeah, that he uh, yeah that at one point he has like a switchblade he carries. Uh, oh, and there's this other. They give him this. I'm not spoiling like a big plot points, but they it's give a, him this nervous tick. They give him this other thing where like as they're being threatened with death by Soviets, he stops to like comb his hair carefully to readjust his like his like DA hair. You know what? It's okay because it was an, it was a nervous tick. It was it was something he does to kind you of put said, you, you know what? I think oh, don't start with me. Himself. I think don't, we don't, know don't on, with me, on whom the Je- the Jedi mind trick works. That's all no. I'm going to okay, say. Okay, first of all, this is not. If I had to rank this in order of my favorite Indiana Jones film, this would probably be right behind uh, Temple of Doom. Just my third favorite out of the four. Mm-hmm. My fourth favorite being Last Crusade. Uh, because it was the last crusade for me was a little too slapsticky. This one still had slapstick moments, but I liked it a little, little better. Right. Okay, there is a moment that I won't identify because Sarah and many people haven't seen it right, yet. Right. There is a Shia LaBeouf moment about three quarters oh, of the way through this yeah. film. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That in and of itself invalidates everything around it almost. I mean, it, it makes the entire sequence unwatchable. It, and you know the moment I know I'm talking, exactly about. What you're talking about, where you're watching it. And I keep referring to it as this, but it's court to the same thing. It's the are you effing kidding me yeah. moment. It's, it re, re, in this week's episode of Film Fever Ready, we refer to it as the Donkey Kong Jr. moment. Yeah. I mean, and you're, yeah. that's a good way to put it without yeah. spoiling it. It is exactly. a Donkey Kong Jr. moment. And you're sitting there and you're it, it's like become a, like a Looney Tunes cartoon. And the thing about Do it they is... they bond over a mutual fear of snakes? I'm not going to say... I'm not going to say what it's about. I really won't. Except that there is actually a pretty... I will say this. There's a moment where... Indy's fear of snakes is is used to I think pretty good effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's I think there is a moment where because Indiana Jones is afraid of snakes, uh, and so there's a moment where that actually works out pretty well. I'm not saying it's a terrible film, but I'm saying that I, I expect better from the best filmmaker of the last thirty years. I mean it's that's the thing is like and people get you can say that it's unfair to judge it that way. But I don't think it's unfair to judge a movie based on the talent of the person who made it. I agree. And Steven Spielberg is the director of this film. And I expect better from Steven Spielberg. And I think that anything else is just excuse-making. I really do. I'm not saying it's the worst movie ever made. No, I understand. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Steven Spielberg can do better, and I expected him to do he better. He can do better. He can, and it's funny because as as the, his film franchises that he's done, last night I watched Jaws. Right. You know, because I kind of needed to cleanse my Spielberg soul a little bit. But think about his, his films in the last few years. His third act, man, he can't pay off in the third act. I don't know what the problem, save for Munich. Um, you know, Munich it was it was okay. I thought but, Munich, you know, had it certainly had well, its great moments. But but you know, but, but look at look like AI or things like that where where he just he, he can't, can't wrap up a film. The well, that's the thing is he also can't end a film anymore. Spielberg has lost his ability to end. And it sounds like I'm, you know, to say that Spielberg, I'm not thinking he's a bad filmmaker, but he has lost his ability. And I, this is a common claim of mine. I put it on the fact that he has kids because I think when you have kids, a lot of times if you're an artist and you have kids, it 
I think it does. I, I hate to say this. I think it makes you soft. I really do. Because if you look at Jaws, here's, here's the best example I can give you. All right. The best side-by-side comparison regarding Steven, and then we have to break here and we'll come back and we'll wrap it up. Um, side-by-side comparison from Steven Spielberg is Jaws and Jurassic Park. You have Jaws in which about a third of the way in, there's a, a shark kills a six-year-old kid yeah. in full view of everybody, and literally a full-on fountain of blood sprays up right. as the shark is eating a small child alive on camera. Right. You fast forward to Jurassic Park, where there is a girl who has, you know, been hunted by a velociraptor and escapes and whatever. She's in a tree. She wakes up, and there is a dinosaur, a dinosaur, six inches away, licking her. And she smiles and pets it on the nose. Well, it was a brontosaurus. It does, they're, it's, they're a, it does, it's a freaking dinosaur. <laughs> and she's going, oh, isn't that cute? It's a dinosaur. Let me pet it. And I just, and at that moment, I was like, that's it. Like, he can no longer convincingly put people in jeopardy. He just doesn't have it in him. Hmm. So that's my thing. Okay, we got a break. We'll come yeah. back after this. Scott Daly, Serpent Field Paper Radio. Sneak in a couple phone calls. Like us at three. Donna Mike at seven. And I see that only one day in we've fallen behind on our whole thing of labeling our bumper music beds one at a time. Uh, so we'll come back. We'll uh, wrap everything up after this as we head into Memorial Day weekend. Stay there. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Back after this, here's Motorhead. All right, we now enter the saddest part of the broadcast and dedicated final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. Scott Daly is here, so... All right, anyway, so I apologize for having stepped all over you with my own thoughts on the Indiana Jones. So you... But go ahead. So you believe that it's a, it's a thrill ride or it's an adventure? I believe it's a fun movie. It's, I believe it's, it's one of those films where, yes, you know, you just got to accept that there's some unbelievable... And believe me, there's some pretty unbelievable stuff in this film. One of, the, one of them being, no spoilers, the very beginning, the first 15 minutes... Indiana Jones escapes from something. You're like, there's no possible way that could happen. But you know what? I was kind of looking at it through the eyes of when I went to see Raiders Lost Ark for the first time. You know, just, wow, this is just a lot of fun. A lot of Rolly Rise moments, a lot of moments you could tell Lucas was heavily involved. But on the other hand, you could tell where Spielberg had to say. Plus, I really respect the fact that through the majority of the film, all the sets they used were practical. There was no the, the, the most most of the sets they were on location and actually practical effect sets as opposed to CGI. And Karen Allen looks good. And Karen Allen looks really good. I I was very very impressed with her. I really like Shia LaBeouf. I actually enjoyed John Hurt. John he Hurt was an was interesting good. character. I think Shia LaBeouf was good. He's just a little squeaky clean to me. That's the I think Tim called him the Ryan Seacrest of actors, <laughs> where he's nice. He's just sort of unthreatening. And There's how no cool, edge to him. How cool was it at the very beginning of the film when the Paramount logo came up? It goes then, to like an anthill or whatever. But not only that, but it was the old school Paramount logo. Right. That was that was like all right. And they used the the uh, Last Crusade font for the opening. Oh, is that film. true? Yeah. I haven't seen Last Crusade in a few years. I'm actually going to watch Temple of Doom tonight. Yeah. So and then, you know it's okay. My my son who'll be six tomorrow uh, has been dying to see this new Indiana Jones film. I told him I was seeing it last weekend. Kids safe. When I came back, he goes, Daddy, tell me about it. I said. I'll take you. So we're yeah. going to go see it tomorrow. Yeah, I would say that unlike maybe Temple of Doom, it's kid. Yeah, Temple of Doom is the only one I won't let him see yet. All right, let's do a couple of these here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's let up, me, sir? Uh, turn off my speakerphone. Hang on. Thank you. Okay, here's a theme song for you, and this is going to tie it all together. Uh, I'll go ahead and play it in the background. This is uh, from a 1960 TV show called Checkmate. With uh, Sebastian Cabot, Doug McClure. Sebastian Cabot. Awesome thing. <laughs> it was composed by Johnny Williams and his orchestra. Johnny Williams went out to do the, uh, Indiana Jones. Kind of music thing? 
So there, in your face. Thank you. <laughs> like listening to a Wikipedia entry. Thanks. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Yeah, you were looking for a good version of the Harlem Nocturne. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, on the movie, on the soundtrack to the movie Christine, about the car that yeah. kills people. There's a good version of that song on that soundtrack. Excellent. Do you know who does oh. it offhand? Oh, God, I, I can't remember. I just right. know that it's on that soundtrack. Uh, one other thing. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't, you probably already have this movie, but UHF is on sale on DVD at Fry's for three ninety nine this weekend. Uh, I actually, oh. I'm proud to say that I actually own it. Uh, it's got a great commentary, too, a pretty straight-ahead commentary by Weird oh, Al, where he talks I'm, about the making of the film. I'm picking up a car. I've only got it on tape, so i got to go grab one. We Here got go. it all on UHF, sir. Oh, yeah. Oh, one other thing, uh, uh, Everclear. Uh, one song I love about Everclear. It, I never hear it on the radio. I don't know if it was ever on the radio, but Heroin Girl. Heroin Girl's a good song. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the best song ever. Every time I hear that, in my every time I play that in my car, I, I keep in automatically turning up the volume. And I, by the time I'm by the time I'm done, it's up all the way. Thank you, my friend. All right, have a good weekend, sir. You too. There you go. They have another song called When It All Goes Wrong again that I like. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. I listened to you guys talk about Indiana Jones. I've got so much to say about that, but that's for another time. Anyway, yes, you were listening to Ma'am. Mrs. Clinton's comment. You were wondering why she brought up Bobby Kennedy being shot. I think she shouldn't have mentioned him being shot, but she did it in the context of it was June, he would just won the California primary going on. But it hadn't been wrapped up yet. So that's why. But it's, she shouldn't have brought up, you know, about him being murdered. That wasn't necessary. It is awkward, though. It's one of those things going to be in the news cycle forever. All right, Scott Dowling. the same lady that always gets the last call of the Maybe. day? I swear, it sounds like her every day. I think she might be, though, the female equivalent of that guy's voice that we hear in every call, where it's like True. there's the two tips and types of guys. Scott Daly, yes. com. Be warned, if you have not seen the new Indiana Jones film, wait till you watch the film before you download Film Fever Radio this week because it's spoilerific. And don't forget, we will be here on Monday doing our live Memorial Day show as we always do. So while you're uh, working or barbecuing or drinking or whatever it is you're doing, uh, we'll be here on Monday. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day with the lovely and talented Sarah Dylan, Richie Bristol, Tim Ryan, Ever- uh, Tim Ryan, Tim Riley, <laughs> D- blah, I regret nothing in the whole. She's going to go out now. Worst ending ever. Bye.